0: Welcome to Delta Green Impossible Landscapes, brought to you by Black Project Gaming. Get read in at blackprojectgaming.com. I'm Vince, your host and handler for this campaign. Joining me are Brett, as FBI Hostage Rescue Team Operator Ira Brewer, also known as Agent Morgan. Cammie, as Dr. Jenny Archer, anthropologist and Delta Green friendly. Doug, as FBI Special Agent Mark Handsome, also known as Agent Meshach. And Jack, as FBI Special Agent Cassandra Reese, also known as Agent Madison. Impossible Landscapes is a campaign of wonder, horror, and conspiracy, written by Dennis Detwiller for Delta Green, the role-playing game. For more information on Delta Green, please visit delta-green.com. This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. In our last episode, M. Cell convened in New York City to investigate the disappearance of a local artist named Abigail Wright. According to their cell's case officer, she had been missing for over two months, and an occult symbol associated with demonology was found in her apartment. The agents and their friendly were tasked with determining whether an unnatural influence was behind Abigail's disappearance. If there was, their orders were simple. Neutralize it. M. Cell made its way to Abigail's apartment, located in the McAllister building in New York's Kipps Bay neighborhood where they conducted an initial survey of the scene. They found the carpet ripped up, all furniture removed, and the walls and ceiling plastered with all manner of detritus. After photographing the apartment, the team decided to leave for the night and begin a more detailed inspection the following morning. As they prepared to depart, they noticed what appeared to be a microphone sticking out from the hallway rug at the base of Abigail's door. The group followed the wire to the apartment across the hall, where they met a young painter named Thomas Manuel. Manuel denied all knowledge of the microphone and claimed to have last seen Abigail two months prior at a going-away party in the building's fourth-floor smoking lounge. The McAllister building, however, only had three floors. When pressed further, Manuel exploded in irrational anger, and the agents forced their way into his apartment. Jenny, uncomfortable with the escalating situation, decided to check the building's upper floors. After finding the door to what should have led to the roof, She discovered it opened on a strange smoking lounge, resembling an early 20th century gentleman's club. There, she met a man named Mark Rourke, who told her Abigail now lived with an encyclopedia salesman on the sixth floor. Meanwhile, the agents interrogated Manuel, who told them Abigail had moved out and moved on with the encyclopedia salesman. A search of his apartment turned up nothing of interest, save for a refrigerator full of foodstuffs that should have been rotten based on their expiration dates, but instead looked fresh and unspoiled. Manuel became increasingly uncooperative, providing only enigmatic answers as to where Abigail had gone when Jenny returned to tell the others about her discovery. Ira cautioned the team against exploring the smoking lounge and whatever lay beyond, but the others ultimately decided to investigate further. While the others went on ahead, Ira executed Manuel by crushing his throat. The group made their way to the smoking lounge, where they briefly conversed with Mark Rourke before venturing into the halls and corridors beyond. Before leaving... Cassandra took the opportunity to check some of the books lining the lounge's walls. She found scrapbooks and folios containing a depraved array of old pornographic photographs, the participants all wearing strange masks. Jenny led the rest of Emcel out into the hallway, intent on reaching the sixth floor and bringing Abigail back. The group soon learned that the upper floors defied all logic and reason, ignoring the laws of the physical world as they stretched and contorted during their journey. Stairways appeared and disappeared seemingly at random, and as they ventured ever onward, they found themselves lost without a clear way back to the smoking lounge. As the team navigated these seemingly endless hallways, they encountered all manner of manifestations that left them shaken. A strange box containing an old grimoire, a plastic silver robe, and vials filled with golden copper plant pods, labeled portraits of men and women holding strange bottles, with a single image showing a bottle without an owner, and the name Temperance Jane Fry. A young girl covered in gauze, singing and dancing alone in a ballroom, only to slow to a complete stop and collapse into thousands of clockwork gears and cogs. Their resolve whittled down by these strange and wondrous horrors, the group eventually managed to return to the smoking lounge. They discovered Mark Rourke had been joined by another McAllister resident named Roger Caroon, but rather than question the men any further, they quickly made their way back downstairs. Before leaving, Cassandra brought one of the strange scrapbooks with her, ignoring Ira's strong suggestions that she leave it behind. With the smoking lounge behind them, the group found that only seconds had passed while they were upstairs. Reeling from what they had just experienced, they decided to return to the sanctuary of their hotels for the night and determine how to continue their investigation. And that is where we will begin tonight's session. So, yeah.
1: What do you all do next? Uh, So where are we right now? Like, where is everybody?
2: I think we just secured the we, – we secured uh, Homegirl's apartment, Abigail's apartment, and then uh, we were about to head out, I think, right?
0: Yeah, so you, you all for – I mean, unless uh, Jenny and Mark walked off by themselves, uh, you all should be just outside the McAllister building.
3: Yeah, did we decide whether we were going to go somewhere together right now or if we were going to meet in the morning? I guess Jenny will ask that if we haven't decided.
2: <laughs> well, you said that, uh, you said that you had someone to meet.
3: Yeah, Um, if we're fine with meeting back here in the morning.
1: I do think that we should have a conversation sooner rather than later. Okay. I did leave something, though, uh, in the building that I need to retrieve. I'll be back in just a moment. Uh, And before anyone can question him on it, Ira goes back into the building.
3: Well, does he go upstairs? Yeah, he's
1: going to really quickly go up to that guy's apartment. Go in, search his body, get his keys, and then lock his apartment door and put his
2: keys in his pocket,
1: and then come back down. Okay.
0: Does anyone follow him?
2: No, but Cassandra will not necessarily follow him. But when she'll look at him through the doorway and stay within like the foyer area, just trying to watch and see what he's doing.
1: Uh, I'm gonna see if I can like he's gonna go into the apartment like it's no big deal uh search the guy's uh body for his keys which i'm assuming i could probably find without too much trouble
0: yeah absolutely yeah i'd say it takes you no time at all um you go back to the body you ruffle through the pockets are you uh wearing gloves
1: yeah he wouldn't have taken them off so yeah he would be wearing the gloves that they had on before
2: handler with my human do i suspect anything less than savory happening right now
0: no I wouldn't say I would say no, based on Ira's overall demeanor and uh
1: and he's keeping his gloves on right yeah he'll keep his glove he'll keep his gloves on uh he'll probably take them off like when we're actually walking away from the building, but I don't think he would have had the opportunity i guess to take them off at this point or the inclination um and then he's gonna try and kind of hide, when he exits the door he's gonna try and kind of like hide the door and what he's doing with the door with his body, lock the door surreptitiously slip into an inner pocket in his coat and then walk back.
2: So I am watching him. Uh, would I be able to roll some kind of alertness to see if I see what he's doing?
0: Yeah, roll alertness and then uh, Ira roll um, stealth.
2: Ooh, that's a three on that stealth. That's a very
0: good check. success, yeah.
1: And I got a failure, so you see me do it.
0: Yeah, so Cassie with a three out of 50 and Ira with an 89 out of 70. Yeah, Cassie, you see him... Trying to be careful, trying to be cautious and mask exactly what it is he's doing by keeping his body in between any potential observers at the door at all times. But you see him and you watch as he does something with the lock and then drops these keys into his pocket.
2: Cassie won't approach him, but she'll watch him. And as soon as he finishes locking up the door and slipping the keys into his pocket, uh, is everything okay? Yes. Why do you have his keys?
1: Prevent future
2: problems. What kind of problems?
1: We should really go and have that conversation.
2: You see her sort of in this, almost the sense of uh, the state of disbelief, and she would probably, probably usually fight you on this, or at least be more, uh, dig, dig a bit more into, into the weight of your words, but given everything that we've all collectively experienced tonight, she seems a little bit too tired to do it. And she will sigh and walk out of the building onto the street.
0: Mark, uh, Jenny, what are you up to during this time?
3: I think just for Jenny, at least just anxiously waiting for the others to get back so they can have whatever conversation that they're going to have. She's still not entirely sure if (laughs) Ira's going to kill her by the end of the night or not, but we'll find out.
4: How about you, Mark? Yeah, I think uh, Mark's not doing much. I mean i probably just check in with, with Jenny. Hey, Jenny, you, you doing all
3: right? I'll be honest, I don't know how to answer that question right now, all things considered. Just, I don't know, I just really want to find that girl, you know? Felt like we were close and we turned our backs.
4: I don't know what we were close to, though. I mean, that I've never, never seen. There's something weird going on here, Jenny.
3: Oh, I know. <laughs> I'm just saying, whatever weird is going on, she's stuck in it. And I thought, I thought, I guess, that our job was to try to find her, but I guess that maybe you guys are here for something different, it sounds like. And I'm not sure where I fit in with that.
4: I mean, just looking at it, if you think about it, we saw that Mark Rourke guy, Roger, he was with him. We saw some hands come out of the door. We saw a little girl dancing to all those people need to be saved. Maybe. Maybe.
3: One of them has a name. Yeah. And one of them, I was told, I guess you guys were given different instructions, but I was told one of them has a family here that misses her. And we're supposed to do what we can to give them some kind of closure. And I... If she is alive, even if she's stuck in some weird hellscape that's straight out of the 20s or whatever. I don't know, I guess I thought that we were supposed to save her.
4: Well, yeah, I mean, if we can. I mean, you remember that Roger guy? Yeah. Why does that name sound familiar to me?
3: I don't know. I don't think I know you well enough. (laughs) Do you know any Rogers?
4: The Mailbox. And, uh... Yeah, Mark's going to go in back into the mail room and take a look at the mailboxes. I'll follow him. Is there an ark room? There is indeed. That's where Roger came from.
3: What what's going on? He's stuck in there too.
4: I've, it didn't look stuck to me. We got out just fine.
3: Yeah, well, after a while,
4: who are you talking about? Ro- you remember me, meeting Roger at the inn? You mean the other man, not Mark. No, the other guy, yeah. Briefly, yes. There he is. Right there. 3 A. Yeah.
3: <sighs> we need to look in to see if anyone's reported him missing. Yep. Because what if he's just coming and going, how, and no one knows that he's, quote-unquote, missing right now?
4: I mean, what if he ain't missing? Thomas, he told us that uh, he was in the smoking room. Right, they had a party,,
3: so some of them come and go. mm-hmm. Why isn't she leaving?
4: because she moved on. That's what
3: what does that mean?
4: hell, if I know we don't even know if this Roger person
2: is moving on we He may be he may be there too, the way that she is. Can
1: we have this conversation somewhere else, please?
2: preferably yes we should We should probably get going.
4: Look, I gotta swing by my uh, my hotel. I'm I'm staying at the courtyard in in Soho. It's not too far from Washington Square Park, but uh, from there on to Hell's Kitchen, right?
2: Yes, uh, there's a Best Western up there that that I'm staying at.
1: All right, Mark, I'm staying nearby where you're staying. Why don't we go together?
4: Yeah, yeah, that works. Uh, we'll meet you there. Uh,
2: yes, uh, room three hundred five.
4: Right. Are you going to be alright to go
2: home by yourself, Jenny?
3: Yeah, do you want me to come to Hell's Kitchen too, or is this a FBI agents only kind of talk?
2: No, no, but I I do remember you saying you had places to be.
3: Yeah, well apparently no time was wasted while we were up there, so.
2: Fair point. Well yeah, you can, uh, if you'd like to, we can catch a cab up there.
3: Yeah, I'll just grab a payphone on the way and make a quick call to expect me later. Okay.
4: Well, at least let us walk you to the... Wait, you're just gonna call a cab? I guess... We'll wait until the cab comes, right? How do you do it
2: here? You just go to one of the bigger, busier streets and just hail one down?
3: Yeah, pretty much. You gotta be aggressive about it, though. They can smell your fear. She tries to smile a little bit.
2: Ira, maybe you can help us with that. I think you'll do just fine.
4: Marks all into that. When we get to the street, Marks Marks like you know being super aggressive, you know, like whistling. And
3: Jenny just smiles and watches him.
4: Yeah, Iris just watching this whole thing. Wait, Ira, you want to share a cab once we get Jenny situated? I think they could probably handle it just
1: fine on their own. But if you want to wait for them, we can. I don't. I don't think we should leave.
4: Leave people wandering around this neighborhood. You know what the that newspaper article said. All right, and we'll say eventually um, you're able to
0: hail a cab for Jenny, and she's on her way. And then Ira and Mark, if you wait for Cassandra, Cassandra will get her own cab.
2: Oh well, I thought uh, Jenny was coming
1: with me.
3: Yeah, I think I'm going with Cassandra, and we're just going to stop at a payphone, and I can call home.
1: Yeah, and then me and Mark are going to a our hotels to pick up our stuff so we can go to Hell's Kitchen and stay in the same hotel as Cassandra. I think that's the plan, right? Perfect.
2: Cassandra would mention to Jenny, if you just want to use the phone in my room, you can, if that's easier.
3: Oh, yeah, sure. Thanks.
2: All right. Well, uh, with the collective effort of all of us, we'll try to hail two cabs down and head towards uh, our respective neighborhoods.
0: Eventually, Jenny and Cassie, you get your cab and you head to Cassie's hotel and Ira and Mark, you get your own cab and we'll pick up with you two.
1: Do you discuss anything in the car on the way over? Um, Ira's not going to start a conversation.
4: I mean, Mark is just going to uh, keep up a constant chatter of uh, background uh, talk.
1: Yeah. And I think Ira will not reply to pretty much any of it kind of realizing that he doesn't have to in order to keep mark going like mark will just kind of keep his own wheels turning
4: yeah mark uh mark mark's like you know you you remind me of uh of this guy that works uh in my department jim <laughs> yeah he's he's a strong silent type too anyway you know the other day jim says to me and it just keeps going
0: so yeah, we'll say for the sake of brevity, it, t- it takes a little bit navigating the um, the New York City traffic, going from one hotel to the next. But you're able to recover your belongings and start making your way uh, from the Soho area to Hell's Kitchen. But uh, Cassie and Jenny, what are you,
2: what are you two ladies up to? Cassie during the cab ride is fairly quiet. Uh, she's been spending most of the time looking out of the window, just. Looking at the passing streetlights and all the, the buildings that are lit up at this hour since everything has gone dark, just watching everything go by, uh, you see that her hand is placed on the cover of the scrapbook. Gently but firmly, as if to like keep it as close to her as possible without it opening or anyone trying to open it for her.
3: Does she seem, and maybe if I need to roll a human, I can, but does she seem nervous?
2: I'd say you'd have to roll a human.
3: Yeah, for sure. Ugh. 71 out of 70, so close.
2: Hard to tell. She's pretty, even when she was stressing out in some of the areas of the upper floors of the apartment building, she didn't seem explosive in any way. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit hard harder to read.
3: Yeah, I think Jenny keeps looking over at the book, but being that they're not alone, they're in a cab, she won't mention anything or ask anything about it yet. So yeah, just also quiet.
0: We'll say it takes a little bit, but eventually you do reach Cassie's Hotel, the
2: the Best Western, and proceed up to her room. Listen, you can make your call. Uh, just when you're done, I, I do need uh, the room for a bit. If you don't mind maybe um, stepping out, you know, checking out the lobby or something.
3: Yeah, sure. No problem. I'll be quick.
2: All right, thank you. And uh, she'll go to the door, unlock it, and uh, she'll let you in, but she'll she'll hover... Closer towards the, the door as to sort of keep, uh, give you a little bit of privacy without leaving the
3: room. Yeah, Jenny is just going to go grab the phone and call home. Um, she's going to call her apartment. So whoever picks up there. Roll luck. 41.
0: It only rings a couple times and uh, eventually a male voice picks up and answers.
3: Hello? Hey, Luke, it's me. Hi, oh, hey, baby. How you doing? Good. Um, remember I told you I was doing some consulting thing. It's taking a little bit longer than I thought. So I don't think I'm going to be home probably for a little while longer. I just didn't want you to get worried. Oh yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, no problem. Is everything, everything okay? Yeah, it's fine. It's just, you know, whenever you get these official suits in, everything takes 10 times longer than it should.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, no problem. I was, uh, I was thinking about heading out anyway with, with, with a couple of the guys from work, uh, As long as you're okay with that.
3: Yeah, of course. Go have fun.
0: All right. Yeah, we uh, won't stay up too late, but uh, just, you know, be safe, okay? I don't know exactly what it is they got you doing, but uh, just be careful.
3: I will, and I'll see you later.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just keep me posted. I will. All right. Love you, babe.
3: Bye. Bye. She hangs up, gets back up, and kind of gestures about the room. All yours, and she'll step out.
2: Yeah, uh, thank you. Um, if you just want to wait down in the lobby, I'll, I can come get you when I'm done. Uh, it won't be too long, hopefully.
3: Sure. No problem. Thank you. Jenny's going to stay right outside the door once it closes and see if she can hear anything.
2: Okay, so let's start with Cassie. So when she leaves, Cassie very gently shuts the door, uh, but she would definitely hear all the locks get flipped on, so to speak, uh, as soon as she steps out. And she goes to the bed, sets the book down beside her, and heads over to the phone. And she wants to go ahead and call... I want to call it Bradley. Uh, Roll luck. 81 out of 50.
0: With an 81 out of 50, the, the phone just rings and rings. Um, but eventually the answering machine does pick up. Hey,
2: Brad, it's, it's Cassie. Uh, I just wanted to give you a call. I know that you're... You're probably on a shift right now. I just, uh, I just wanted to let you know that I got to New York safely, and um, just uh, I'll be up for a little bit. So if you if you have a break or anything like that, uh, just give me a call. I'm staying at uh, I'm staying at the Best Western in Hell's Kitchen, um, three o five. I I love you. I know. I guess I'll just I'll talk to you later. And she hangs up the phone. And takes a moment and looks over at the book again and she goes over and pushes it underneath one of her pillows and then pulls the covers back over the bed as to make it look fresh and tidy and waits probably about like 10 minutes before she goes back towards the door.
3: So did I hear anything? (laughs)
0: Yeah, so good question. Uh Cassie, would that have been in a normal tone of voice? Were you trying to be quiet with it? How is
2: your I mean she's relatively soft spoken. So I mean, you know, it was a it was a normal tone for her, but she's not very loud or uh, animated.
0: So let's do this. Um I will have you make an alertness roll, Jenny, but what I'll do is I will it'll there'll be a twenty percent penalty just to account for the door and the space between uh the phone the bed and and where your position in the hallway.
3: Oh, okay. I fail because I only have a 20. Ah,
0: oh, okay. It's tough. You can hear even slightly feel maybe some of the vibrations of speech happening beyond the door, but uh you just not enough for you to discern any sort of meaning or uh intelligible words from the conversation.
3: Okay, yeah, once she's like oh, I'm not going to hear anything, she'll go down and wait in the lobby so that whenever Cassandra's done, she doesn't catch her like with her ear against the door. <laughs>
0: And how long uh, would you say Cassie stays up there before?
2: Oh, just about 10 minutes.
0: Okay. We'll say uh, roughly about an hour later, Mark and Ira, you arrive
2: at the Best Western where Cassie is staying. And Cassie and Jenny,
0: do you do anything else in that time?
2: So Cassie would have gone down to the lobby to get Jenny. Hey, uh, and if you wanted to just come back up to the room and relax.
3: Yeah, sure. Everything okay?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. I just had to make a, a quick call home. Oh, sure. How about you? Are you Are you going to be okay staying up here?
3: Yeah, no, I'll be I'll be okay.
2: And yeah, with that, uh, she'll lead Jenny back to her room. And uh, once they're inside, I'd say that uh, Jenny would see that the room is already. It's fairly put together, spotless. There doesn't seem to be a lot of clutter. You see that like, any of her luggage is neatly put away. Um, she has some some of her clothing hanging up in the closet, which is open. But uh, she'll sit down at like one of the tables uh, in the corner of the room and start to uh, essentially kind of unload some of her kit and even start to lay out some of the Polaroids that they took earlier.
3: And you hid the book, right? The scrapbook? Yes. Yeah, I think- it's a little awkward <laughs> because Jenny kind of wants to make conversation, but I think she senses that Cassie isn't like a chatty gal. And with the things that have happened tonight, she doesn't know what is safe to ask about and what isn't, what's off limits. So I think she just kind of sits on the bed and waits and just watches Cassie go about her her routine.
2: So how did you get it wrangled into this?
3: Oh, um, I consulted on another case, and I guess they just kept my number.
2: What kind of case was it? And you notice, too, that she's not even looking at you. She's just arranging the photos as she's speaking.
3: Another odd one. Nothing like this, but a little odd. I don't think I can, or I don't think I'm supposed to get into the details.
2: Are they classified?
3: Probably. Who knows? I don't know if I tell you, and then, you know. Ira's gonna come knocking on my door at three a.m. a week from later.
2: No, I don't. I hope that's not the case. I, I think right now we're, for better or worse, on the same side.
3: He is a little intense, though.
2: Yeah, I've met like I've met men like him in the bureau before. Maybe not as intense as that, but it, it did anything strike you? And at this point, you see that she starts to turn towards you. Did anything up there strike you as? Familiar.
3: Not really.
2: Uh, Handler, I want to see if she's telling the truth. Go for it. And I'll allow you to make a persuade roll,
0: a competing persuade roll, Jenny. Okay.
2: God damn it, failure. 94 out of 64.
0: Yeah, 94 out of 64 on that human for Cassie, and 61 out of 80 for Jenny on that persuade roll. Yeah, she's telling the truth.
3: You seem to have something with the, the robes from that box.
2: Yeah, yes. Um, that's probably something that we should discuss when the others here are here. Right. So what was the nature of the case you were working on again?
3: Can I do- I want to do a human check now, my turn. <laughs> Trying to determine if it's just like curiosity, or if it's like a test. Is she like seeing if I'll spill anything, or if there's any other underlying motive that she keeps asking about that? Go for it. 38 out of 70.
2: Um, so what Jenny might pick up on is she's using a little bit of an interrogation tactic wherein you repeat the thing, you bring it up throughout the conversation multiple times to see if there's a slip up or if there's a change in the answer. Um, so you probably pick up a bit on that.
3: Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it was odd and I think that's really all that I'm allowed to say about it. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you kind of understand the nature of what I mean when I say odd, given that even though everything that happened tonight is absolutely that shit insane, kind of par for the course for you guys.
2: I don't know about everybody else. But we can ask them when they get here. Yeah. And they do arrive. Eventually
0: you hear the knock on your door as Ira and Mark arrive from their errands.
1: Yeah, and Ira would have at this point checked into the same Hotel. He's got himself a room there now.
0: Yeah, easy enough. We'll say that there's uh, availability for you both.
4: Okay. Is it possible, like down in the lobby, for Mark to pick up a uh, dry erase marker?
0: Let's leave it up to the luck roll.
4: All right. So I ask him, and... Oh, that's 57.
0: Yeah, 57 out of 50. Unfortunately, this property does not have conference rooms, and so they don't have any dry erase markers they do have them in the back but they don't typically hand them out to guests because they never get them back
4: right right okay i think uh on the right over here to hell's kitchen uh, probably when mark opens the door he'll 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 just say look i don't know why they kill call it hell's kitchen i mean i saw a daggone target store on the way over here i was just expecting something more that's all Yeah,
2: Cassie will uh, let him into the room as as soon as she hears them knocking and step aside and uh, just kind of guide them in. It's a one bedroom, nothing terribly fancy. Again, it's just, you know, kind of a a decent sized Best Western. So there is like a little table and chairs and a bed, but nothing beyond that, aside from like a TV. Uh, Make yourselves at home. Just don't, you know, get into bed. (laughs) Yeah, Ira will uh, find a seat.
1: Uh, kind of move it so it's a little bit removed from the other ones, uh, but facing everybody and also the door,
2: uh, and then sit down. Back to a wall, obviously. Well, we should probably go over what we saw tonight. Who wants to go
4: first? So I got a theory. LSD. LSD. I mean, they, uh, back when I was in church camp, when I was in high school, they they told us about I mean, uh, acid, right? That's. It can cause you to just get all messed up in your head. How did. How do you think that that was delivered to us tonight? Maybe it was on some of the things in the apartment? People don't generally share the same delusion. Oh. All right. Well, that theory's busted.
2: So. and Jenny, just as a reminder, anything that you do here, here is confidential and remains with the four of us.
3: Yeah, of course.
2: Cassandra looks over at Ira to see if, uh, just sort of as like a, a look of confirmation.
1: He gives a very slight nod of his head.
2: So I didn't, I've been looking over the photos. I Nothing has jumped out at me immediately. But more concerning are uh, some of the things that we found in that place. Uh, Some months ago, I... I was at a scene. I work with the FBI's uh, evidence response team. And... a partner and I were at a scene, and... at some point, we... and you see that she's trying to, like... there's this moment where she's, like, trying to recall. And... you can clearly see the gears turning in in her head as if she doesn't quite remember everything about it. And... It was, there were these these people, we thought they were they were vagrants at first, but they were wearing robes very similar to the ones that we found in, in that crate, in that box, the silver ones. I don't think it's a coincidence.
3: Are you allowed to speak to the nature of the case you were working on when you found them, or?
2: I don't think that's a good
1: idea.
3: She kind of gives Ira this almost exhausted, like, okay, fine, whatever.
1: <laughs> he gives her a very sh- small shrug.
2: No, it's fine. It was just a a routine drive-by shooting uh, that took place downtown. We didn't encounter them at the scene of the crime. It was blocks away. And I I don't know what, what compelled my partner and I to leave the scene. But when we did, we... We found them in an alleyway painting this mural, and we—it's th- L.A. The we, strange things that could happen there. There's lots of artists, lots of creative types. We, we at first we thought it could have been some sort of film or TV shoot, uh, some sort of community art project going on there. But I don't remember what happened after. But they were there in in these masks and in those robes that I just—I something about this feels. Personal, and I don't know if it feels the same way for any of you, but if it does, I would like to know.
3: Do you remember what kind of symbol you remember in the painting? Maybe it's something I can identify.
2: It was a mural. It was it was a very crude cityscape on fire. And there were what looked to be two moons in, in the sky above.
3: Does that ring any symbolic bells for me?
0: Roll roll uh, intelligence. Let's make an intelligence roll.
3: Okay.
0: See if you can remember anything.
3: Uh, 39 out of 90.
0: At this point, with Jenny having successfully passed her intelligence check, I asked the other players to leave the room so I could tell her what she remembered. Jenny. Yes. You do remember people in the commune. I mean, there were all sorts. It wasn't just architects. It wasn't just writers; it was also artists and musicians. And you remember, you remember the artists painting all sorts of just surreal imagery. You remember two moons. You remember two suns. You remember multiple suns, multiple moons, all sorts of alien landscapes and cityscapes. But it, you do sense that this is something familiar. It is definitely something you you likely encountered in the hollow okay
3: just super quick was there ever any sort of like official investigation into the hollow after everything happened that there would be like documentation of like this is what they had been doing or if i had made any mention to that it would be like oh you were from there you saw there obviously because you were, were there at the time
0: i would say it's it's probably super obscure at this point okay And even you, so you were so young at the time, and it was such a trauma for you that a lot of it is just, whether purposely or just through the passage of time, just beyond your recollection at this point. Okay. And I don't know, is that something that Jenny would have ever actually tried to dig up on and seen the reporting on or anything like that?
3: Not too in-depth. I think there might have been a time once or twice that she might have just like done a couple cursory I think it's not Google searches, Alta Vista searches. I don't know, whatever exists yeah. in the 90s, uh, just to see what exists out there and what people generally know. But yeah, nothing too in-depth.
0: Yeah, and it's it's definitely one of those events in history that's been consigned to urban legend more than anything. And it has since kind of taking on a life of its own to where it doesn't even remotely resemble the truth.
3: Okay, sounds good.
0: All right, I'll bring the others back in.
3: Yeah, so Jenny takes a minute. She frowns a little bit like she's trying to think or recall. You know, it's kind of like an urban legend, but I've heard of similar paintings, never that far west, but they've been known to pop up here and there, usually in like secluded communities, never in a huge city like LA. But
1: I'm sorry to interrupt you. Do you think this is going to help us specifically
2: what we're doing?
3: I don't know what's helpful and what's not. It sounds familiar, is all I'm saying.
2: What's the urban legend?
3: I mean, it changes from one person to the next. It's super obscure. I probably wouldn't know about it, except for it's my field of study, (laughs) specifically. It's just, I don't know, just weird, almost alien images that people paint. But like I said, usually it's in secluded communities. Usually they're abandoned by the time people find them. So there isn't much evidence or data it's just weird things people stumble across like I said I've never heard of it that far west or in a major city that's odd to me
2: but you said it it's it's a imagery that pops up in in maybe desolate or even just downtrodden areas
3: yeah I mean very rare but the two moons thing that stood out as something that I read about at some point when I was doing my thesis
2: I mean, this is Skid Row. This is,
3: yeah. I don't know. Maybe there's some new age hippie thing that people really like two moons. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's not relevant at all. It's just, you said if anything sounded familiar and that sounds familiar to me.
2: Well, there are many of them and I don't, nothing in in my own recollection of, of the kind of communities that have sprung up, uh, that have sprung up in Skid Row over the past few years. Nothing, nothing spoke to that sort of pageantry. They were Handler just out a character. Do I do I remember if anyone else saw the books?
0: Oh yeah, um, I I don't believe so. I think you were the only one who was really paying attention.
2: Okay. Well, like I said, I I don't believe that this is as coincidental as as others might believe it. Me, might believe it would be, but. At this point, we can't rule anything out. Uh, I asked Jenny this earlier, but for you, Ira and Mark, did anything up there ring any bells? Did anything feel familiar?
4: No. Uh-uh. No, ma'am.
3: Human check for you both, meant of check that, both of them. Human check on both of them. Go for it. Do you want to roll separately? Like one per Ira?
0: I'll just say one roll for you, Jenny, one roll for you, Cassandra. And then Ira and Mark, if you are trying to conceal anything, roll a competing persuade.
3: Finally a success,
1: 47. Oh, nice. Um, I'm not trying to convince them of anything. I I honestly don't think that Ira saw anything familiar to him up there.
3: I don't remember him. He
1: was was very specifically not looking at stuff too, right? True.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I would say if, if there was something that should have rung bells for Mark, I missed it. Yeah, it did not. Yeah.
1: I will give you on the human uh, that Ira looks uh, annoyed or seems annoyed. On edge.
2: Is everything okay, Ira? Do you have somewhere to be?
1: No. I just think we're talking about the wrong thing.
2: What should we be talking about?
1: By all means. What it is that we are here for? What it is you expect to get out of this? What it is that is and is not a good idea?
2: With all due respect, this phenomena, whatever whatever it is that we witnessed tonight, I don't know about uh, the three of you, but at least for me, there is a direct connection, and I need to know more.
1: That is very dangerous. Do you know why I'm here? What my job is? I have an inkling, but I would prefer you told us. I'm here to protect you. From what? He kind of, like, holds his hands up, and i like...
2: What brought you to this, Ira? Same thing as all of you, I expect. I don't think it is, because the thing that brought me here is somehow tied to whatever's happening in that apartment complex, and by all accounts, nothing that we found there is tied to you. So, again, I'll ask, what is it that brought you into this?
1: It's not the only strange thing in the world.
2: I'm not saying it is, but I want to know what strange thing brought you here.
1: Well, it's none of your business. I will tell you that the last time I encountered something like this, somebody else was as curious as you were, and it was a bad idea. I am genuinely trying to protect you, but I can't do
2: that if you listen to me. What do you suggest that we do then? Burn the building.
3: What about Abigail?
2: Abigail's dead.
3: You don't know that. Pretty sure. Pretty sure? That's not good enough.
2: Even if she's not dead, she's different.
3: How do you know that?
2: Ira, why do you have Manuel's keys? What? Why do you have Thomas Manuel's keys? I already answered that question.
3: I'd like to hear the answer.
2: Yeah, tough shit. Ira, if you did anything to that young man, there's nothing that I can do to stop you. But if we are going to work together, it would behoove you to be somewhat transparent so that whatever course of action we decide to take, we are at least making sure that we're covering ourselves and being the most effective unit as we can be.
3: What? What do you mean, whatever course of action?
1: Our job here is to remove this threat.
3: That's not what I was told.
1: Okay. That doesn't change the fact.
3: Maybe it doesn't for you, but it does for me. And whatever conversation is happening right now about, hey, whatever it is you want to do, just let us know and we will cover it for you. I didn't sign up for that shit either.
1: I'm afraid you did.
3: I signed on to help find and rescue, if possible, Abigail Wright. That is my job here.
2: You signed on for whatever they want you to do.
3: Then maybe they should have told me that a little bit more vaguely instead of giving me an objective. Whoever they are, and she does like quotations, you can have them call me and tell me that directly, but I'm not trusting any of you right now.
2: That's fair. But Ira, if I need to do anything, if I need to clean up anything, Oh my God. I need to know what kind of mess you made so that I can properly prepare myself and make sure that I have everything that I need to do to take care of it.
3: Jenny starts pacing. She is uncomfortable.
2: I was
1: going to give you like a sort of a measured look and maybe like a little bit of a nod of acknowledgement, but he's not going to keep talking. This is like quite clearly not the venue of this conversation. He kind of like motions his
4: head towards
2: Jenny. Fine. Mark, do you have anything to add?
4: I'm, I'm a little bit lost here. I mean, look, you guys were talking about. Well, at least you were talking about what what brought you into this. I mean, with me, it was, I mean, it it was just, it looked to me like it was just a bunch of kids messing around with something that just spun out of control. And, well, the, the people I was with at the time said, best thing to do is to just cover it up, because wouldn't help anybody to know about it, but... We didn't kill nobody. We didn't burn no buildings down. Certainly not with people in them. I mean, what about Roger Caroon, whatever his name is? I mean, as far as we know, he's he's still fine.
1: I don't think anybody in that building is fine.
4: Well, I'm with Jenny on one thing. I think we should we should definitely try to help the people that are in there, even if it means, you know... I mean, if if we can't, we can't. But we gotta try.
1: If that's what you want to do, I'll do my best to
4: help you. But I think it's a bad idea. I mean, you talk about burning burning that building down. Yes. If we set fire to the outside of that building, what says that we're going to destroy what's inside it anyway?
1: Set fire to the inside of the building.
2: Yeah. Well. Well, what makes you think that any of this obeys the laws of? man-made fire, or any sort of physics or, or scientific phenomena that's based here.
1: Ira kind of shrugs and goes, I don't know that it would work, but it's definitely a good thing to try first.
3: Or it could make it so much worse.
4: He shrugs again.
1: One way to find out.
3: Right.
4: Let's Let's just put that in the plan B category for now.
1: Again, I'm here to protect you. What you guys decide to do is what we'll do. I'm not in charge. But the more you learn about this kind of, I don't know, there's a threshold somewhere where you stop being on our side and start being on the other side. And I don't know where the threshold is, but I know that once you cross it, I can't help you anymore.
3: Other side, what does that even mean? What other side?
1: He shrugs his shoulders.
3: Oh my god. Yeah, just keep offering opinions and then just shrug your shoulders when anyone asks you to expand on what you're saying.
1: I don't know what it is. Whatever the other, whatever it is that they keep sending us to investigate or whatever it is we encountered to get us roped into this, whatever it is that's going on at the top of that building, that's the other side. I don't know what it is any more than you do.
4: Well, short of the b- build, burning the building down, there's got to be some other things we can do. There's a lot of information we don't have.
3: Can we try to talk to Roger in the morning? I mean, if he's not supposedly missing, yeah. we can assume that he comes out. Maybe he has more information for us.
4: I think that's a good idea. I think, I mean, Thomas Manuel well, ain't ain't talking to us. That's pretty clear. So, Karun, definitely want to talk to him. And, and Mark's now, like, putting his fingers up and ticking, ticking off the of things. Oh, we we got to find out like, who owns this building? Who built it? Where does it come from? I mean, has it always had th- this sort of problems? Maybe there's some information we could find out there.
2: Well, Jenny, you seem good with research. Is that something that you can follow up on?
3: Yeah, sure.
2: Alright, so we'll have Jenny do a little bit of research on the history and the legacy of the building itself see if you can find maybe anything else on either Abigail or any of the other tenants. Uh, even uh, what was his name? Mark Rourke.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think one of us, I mean, I'd, I'd be happy to do it should go down to the, uh, NYPD and get anything information we can on, you know, these other people in the building like, uh, Karun and any of the other people? Uh, who else were on? Well, hold on. And he pulls out his notebook and he flips over. There was well uh, Wright, Manuel, Karun, Post, Four A. Who's that? Van Fitz, Six B. Any information you know we can find about these people? Four A and Six B. Those were on the those were on the first
2: and second floors. Correct.
4: I don't understand how the numbering system in this place works me neither.
0: Yeah, Van Fitz and Post are on the second floor. Okay. The rest of the apartments in the building are unoccupied.
4: Yeah.
2: Mark, when you're down there, perhaps look up and you as well, Jenny. Maybe look up some of the other names and uh, of the there was that name uh, of the company that was on that crate. There was also another name on on one of the gears. I think they saw one on the photo as well. What was it? Temperance Jane Fry? Yeah. Temperance, I remember that.
3: Something old-timey.
2: Either way, you sh- you both should look into those names. Any th- anything on them.
4: I mean, I can go the official route. Check with the NYPD. I think if we have both of you working
2: on that at the same time, I can start to secure Abigail's apartment, start to break things down. And Ira, if you wouldn't mind assisting me unless you feel like your skill set is better used elsewhere.
3: Hey, shrugs. Okay, do we want to meet up sometime tomorrow to go over everything?
2: We should probably meet either at the apartment or back here. I mean, the three of us are going to be here anyway, Jenny, if you didn't mind coming in the morning. We can go over our game plan.
3: Sure. Um, Let me, and she's going to write down her phone number really quick. Just call me whenever you're ready. Will do. Being
4: FBI agents, would we have pagers? You would. Yeah, Mark's gonna just gonna write his, his pager number on a piece of paper, on uh, three pieces of paper, and hand them out to everybody.
3: Pager? Fancy.
4: Half the time, I don't even know how to work it, but I'll do my best. Okay.
2: We'll see you in the morning then, Jenny, and the rest of you. Say 0800.
3: Okay. Everyone try to sleep well, I guess, and Jenny will head out.
2: Let us know... When you've gotten home.
3: Yeah, I'll uh signal on the pager.
2: She'll uh smile and, and hold the door open for you as you leave.
3: Yep, Jenny goes.
2: Yeah, she'll shut the she'll shut the door and turn to the other two who are still in her room. What about you two? What about us? No. Oh, are you staying back in Soho or did you get rooms here?
4: Yeah, we got rooms here. It's better to be close.
2: Maybe not so close that we're in the same room the entire night. Uh, if you don't mind,
4: uh, Ira's going
1: to nod and then kind of just look over at Mark until Mark gets up and leaves.
4: All right. All right. All right. I, I thought maybe you wanted to hang out or something. I'll see you
2: all in the morning. Rest easy then, both of you. Have a good night. Night.
1: Ira still hasn't gotten up from his chair.
4: Yeah. Our, Mark's gone out the door.
2: Yeah. So she will uh, let Mark out and. As she's starting to shut the door, she'll turn back and realize that Ira is still sitting in his chair. Is there something else that you need to discuss? That was ill-considered. What was? Bringing
1: that up in front of Jenny. She's a part of this now. Ease her into it.
2: She's going to have a hard time. I wasn't afforded that luxury, and I, from what I gather, you weren't either, so I don't think there's any kind of... There's no way to pad this. She saw what we saw we all saw what each other saw, then none of it makes any sense.
1: kind of like tips his head back and forth. Yeah. Still, it doesn't hurt to try.
2: Just let me know if I have to clean up anything tomorrow.
1: He nods. Gets up.
2: She'll uh, stand aside and kind of bite her bottom lip as she opens the door for you. I'm in room 308 if you need anything. It's down the hall. Yep. All right. And she'll actually, she'll keep the door open and you, you'll see if you look back that she's standing in the doorway looking down at you as you're, you're going towards your room.
1: Oh, he doesn't look back.
3: I don't know when it would be a good time to mention it, but uh, Jenny is taking a cab back to the apartment complex.
2: <laughs> I figured. So let's do this. Cassie does have the keys though. She does. Yep. Ira has a set of keys as well.
0: So Mark, do you do anything with the rest of your evening or is is he just going to kind of call it a night?
4: I think probably for the, with the rest of the evening, uh, Mark is going to call his girlfriend, Sharon, uh, who is uh, a senior at Clemson. Tell her, Hey, yeah, no, I'm, I'm here in New York city. It's, uh, Oh, it's bigger than I thought it would be. Tell you the truth. And, uh, confusing but it's pretty cool. And just talk to her about, you know, non confidential details about the, you know, pizza place that he went to this this morning and, and stuff like that.
2: Cassie, what do you end up doing? So Cassie she lets Ira go to his room and she goes back to her bed, leaving the light on and uh she turns on the T V for maybe about like 10 minutes trying to kind of drown out some of the you know the kind of mental noise that's going on in her head with everything that she's seen but it's too much so she turns it off and she digs underneath the the pillow where she hid the book the scrapbook that she found and she walks over to the table that she had spread out all the fol- uh, all of the polaroids And she's just going to basically spend as much time as she can before she just passes out, uh, going over the Polaroids that she took and trying to cross-reference them with the photos in the book. And as she's doing so, she feels herself getting emotional, remembering glimpses of the things that happened to her in L.A. before this, Uh, seeing those masks that she's seen before, seeing the robes, but then coupled with all of the strange... Deviant sexual behavior that's happening in this book that she herself is not uh, familiar with firsthand, and so it's just a sort of dramatic moments of like looking over the photos and and going over everything uh, until she she tires herself out.
0: So there's nothing that you see in the uh, in the Polaroids in the right apartment that show up in the scrapbook, but I will say since you spent so much time. Pouring over the uh, photos of the apartment, I'll, I'll give you a 20% bonus to your, whenever you make a search roll when you go through the apartment, just because you've now kind of studied it inside and out, forwards and backwards, and have a, a good understanding of kind of the, the structural space and how to begin your search, so. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay, Ira, you had some questions for me.
1: Yes. So... Would it even be possible for IRA to dispose of a body without being seen in that part of town? It would be be extremely difficult. Because I was thinking he would maybe wait until like 2 or 3 a.m., go to like an all-night car rental service. Because there's probably going to be one of those, right? Like those exist.
0: Yeah. You'd probably have to go to like the airport, like JFK or LaGuardia or something like that, but yeah.
1: And you can just tell me how stupid this plan is. So he would go to like a, a place, get an all night, uh, get like a car, uh, go back to the apartment building, wrap what's his nuts up in one of the one of his own sheets, put him in the back of the car, drive him to a river, dump his body in a river. That's what I was thinking of doing. Is that a really terrible plan?
0: Um. So a lot, it, not terrible. A lot of it will come down to a series of rules there'd be stealth rolls. So you're unnoticed. There would be alertness to see if anybody's watching. There would be, yeah, there'd be, there, there'd be, there would definitely be some, some chance involved.
1: Yeah. How many rolls are we talking here?
0: Yeah. I don't want to make it, I don't want to make it a point to where like you're essentially rolling to fail. So I would say roll, roll criminology, roll alertness, and then roll stealth.
1: If I bring Cassandra with me, will that give me any bonuses?
0: I would say that would absolutely help because of her, her
1: knowledge in forensics. So he's going to wait until like 2 o'clock in the morning, and then he's going to knock on Cassandra's door.
0: Before we get there, uh, because that will be some time later, I'm guessing. Jenny, we'll see what you're up to.
3: Yeah, so she wants to go back to the McAllister building. And first of all, I guess just determine whether or not she can even get in.
0: So the uh, door is locked, but there is a buzzer system.
3: Is it connected to specific apartments? Yes. I guess I'll try Rogers 3A, see if he answers.
0: You push the button for the buzzer and you hear that harsh buzzing sound, but no response.
3: Damn. I'm just going to try to knock on the door really loudly. Maybe someone's out there and they hear me. (laughs) No answer. Okay, I'll just start on the other... Like the other buzzers just kind of go down the line till hopefully someone answers me. Roll luck. Okay.
0: But with a 41 and a 50, yeah, you hit the buzzer for Post's apartment. And uh, there's a buzz in response as the door is unlocked.
3: Okay. Yep. She goes in. She's going to Thomas Manuel's door. She's just honestly going to knock and see if anyone, if there's any response because she's a little concerned.
2: There is no answer. Fuck.
3: I think she almost like paces in front of the door for a minute, like trying to decide, like, do I need to call 911? Am I getting myself into danger here? Like she's kind of having that internal struggle. But yeah, then I think she's going to go upstairs. See if that lounge is still open.
0: The lounge is still open.
3: Yeah, then she goes in. God damn it.
0: So the roof door opens once again and you step in. And do you see Mark Rourke seated at the, in the same chair, nursing a drink, smoking a cigar, and across from him is the man who introduced himself as Roger previously.
3: Mind if I get a drink, fellas? Oh, ho, ho, doll face, how you doing? I just can't stay away, can I?
0: I oh, sure can. I ain't complaining. Hey, how about you, Karuna? And Karuna doesn't seem to look up. He's buried in one of the books.
3: Yeah, yeah. Hooch
0: is over there. Go get, go get yourself a drink, huh?
3: Yeah, I will go get myself a drink. I'm not going to take a drink. I'm just going to pour it for myself.
0: Okay. The wet bar has plenty of ice, glasses, a, a series of unlabeled drinks. There's bitters, vermouth, olives, limes, lemons, oranges, essentially anything and everything you could think of to make any conceivable drink. Even if you had any little or no knowledge in bartending, there's enough to figure your way around.
3: Yeah, she'll just... Pretty much, she's not even paying that much attention. She's just going to grab the first liquor that she sees and get a little ice and pour a little bit. (laughs) So we'll just say she grabs some bourbon or whatever and just pours the... So, um, after, you know, coming in and out of here a few times and witnessing everything this place has to offer, I'm a little curious about your story, Mark. Oh, me? Yeah.
0: Ah, nothing special. uh, you know, just, uh, I live up on, uh, up on Seven. Lived here for a while now. That's really all there is to it, I guess.
3: Where'd you live before you moved up to Seven?
0: Now you know, I've been here so long, I can't even tell you.
3: What about you? Um, Roger, right?
0: Hmm? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yes, Roger.
3: You live upstairs, or?
0: Me? Oh, no, 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 I live, I live in the, uh, the McAllister.
3: So you just kind of come and go when you want to drink?
0: I do, yeah. It's, uh, easily accessible. Best booze you can find, uh, pretty much anywhere. I never have to leave the building.
3: Yeah, it's very convenient. Did you know Abigail very well, Roger? Or Gail, I guess, maybe she goes by now?
0: It seems like everyone's got their nicknames for her, don't they, Mark? But, uh, I, 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 yes, I do know Miss Wright. She... Yeah, she's still here. She lives on six, apartment
3: 12A. Do you know why she decided to move instead of just coming and going like you do?
0: Well, if I believe it's all about that salesman that she's uh, taken up with. They seem quite smitten with one another.
3: I can't remember if you told me or not. I'm sorry. Does he have a name?
0: None that I've ever caught.
3: And what does he sell exactly?
0: Mark chimes in at this point. Fucking encyclopedias.
3: That's right. That's right. You did mention that. Who does he sell him to? I mean, does he come and go like you do, Roger, or does he just stick around here?
0: Well, I, uh, if I'm being honest, I don't see very much of him.
3: That's kind of weird, right? Sales guy who never leaves his house?
0: No, I never said said I never see him leave. He's, he comes and goes, but I never see where to or when.
3: How often does he come and go?
0: Well, I'm not entirely sure.
3: I was just asking because I'm in college right now and I'm writing a huge paper. And now that I think about it, encyclopedia might be kind of helpful.
0: Eh, yeah, buy it from somebody else. That guy's a fucking creep.
3: <laughs> Why do you say that?
0: Nah, eh, just I don't know. It gives me the heebie-jeebies.
3: Is there a way to call him down here? Get in touch with him?
0: Nah, what do you want to? What do you want to have anything to do with that guy for? Just let him be.
3: Just an encyclopedia. He, he sells them, right? That's his, that's his way A lot of
0: people fucking sell them. It's, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't bother yourself.
3: I want to do a, a human check to see if, I don't know, if he's like trying to brush me off just because he's like, ah, what the hell? Or if there's something suspicious.
0: Yeah, go for it. Ooh, 14. He's brushing you off. He does not want to talk about
3: it. Gotcha. So he lives up on 6th. Do you know which apartment number? Maybe I'll just Drop in and say hi to Abby real quick and then maybe get in the encyclopedia Well, I'm here. I mean, it's convenient.
0: work it kind of shrugs and Karun says, uh, uh, 12A, if I'm not mistaken.
3: 12A. Perfect. All right. Uh, well, thank you, gentlemen. I kind of cheers my glass and set it down. Hey, have you met the night manager yet? The who? The night manager. Is he around here or is he down in McAllister?
0: No, he's, he's up here. Mr. Castain.
3: Mr. Castagne. Uh No, I have not met a Mr. Castane, I don't think. Why?
0: Well, it just, if you're be spending some more time here, you may want to pop your head in. Common courtesy.
3: Oh, sure. Where can I find Mr. Castain? Eh, just down the hall. <laughs> of course. Everything's down the hall. Okay, thank you.
0: Yeah, don't mention it.
3: That is a good idea. Um, I'm going to go down the hall with the intention of finding 12A.
0: Yeah, so uh, you head down the hall. Roll sanity. Success. Once again, the hallway just seems to get impossibly long. And you turn and you have gotten no further from the smoking lounge than when you started. Uh, So lose one sand or one willpower.
3: Okay. Um, seeing as how that it does not seem to be working, she's going to try and repeat what she did last time that seemed to like unlock it. I think that was just with her trying to focus on, I want to find Abby, I want to go upstairs to the sixth floor, things like that.
0: As you're standing there, you close your eyes and you start concentrating, you start focusing, you start trying to will yourself to navigate this place to find where Abigail may be. You think of the sixth floor, you think of 12A, and eventually a, a set of stairs appear. I
3: go up and I start looking for 12A.
0: What's strange is that this is a very, this, these hallways are very old, almost Edwardian or Baroque looking, just all, you know, sconces and burgundy carpet and just very for lack of a better word, fancy-looking. Uh, I mean, it's old, but it looks new. It's timeless. But none of the doors have numbers on them, from the, what you can tell. But roll sanity.
3: <laughs> yeah, of course. Success.
0: Yeah, 38 of 67. One sand or one willpower.
3: All right, we'll take away a sand this time. Okay. She's just going to call out. She's just going to pretty much shout, Abigail right? Are you here? She's not sure which door to knock on.
0: At this point, you hear footsteps behind you, and you turn. And there is a uh, young Caucasian man in dated clothing, maybe from the 1940s or the 1950s. He rounds a corner, smiling and laughing like he's involved in some kind of conversation with somebody that you can't see. You don't really understand what it is he's saying, but he starts to walk past you. Do you try to stop him?
3: No, I'm not touching him.
0: As soon as he walks past, he transforms. His skin goes sallow and pale, except for his face, which becomes purple and swollen. His eyes turn up and bulge white and then burst red. A ghost rope pulls at his neck in a noose, and he appears to lift off the ground and dangle. Roll sanity. Oh my god.
3: Appropriate. Failure.
0: 76 out of 66. All right. Roll... 1d6. <laughs> 1d6? Okay. You lose 3 sand if, unless you unless you want to project.
3: Oh, man. I think I have to because I already lost so much. Yeah, I'm going to project onto Luke since he's having a night out. I'm having a night out. Different night out, but...
0: Right, yeah. Um, so in this case, roll 1d4.
3: 1d4? Okay. 3 again.
0: 3. So you lose that much willpower and you lose... Um, that much from your bond.
3: Okay. Oof, my willpower is not looking great.
0: Okay. And so, yeah, you um, you negate your sand loss by that much, so you lose none. Okay, cool. But as this man passes you, I mean, do you shut your eyes? Do you turn away? Like, how do you react to seeing this?
3: I think she, she won't close her eyes or turn away, but she definitely starts to take a few steps back, almost like getting ready to just run the hell out of there. If he starts to seem aggressively moving towards her, like he might hurt her. But right now she's just kind of like almost in shock, just like watching what is happening.
0: Eventually, his feet come back down to the ground. And he's that same young Caucasian man you saw previously, laughing and smiling. And once again, this time you hear more clearly. And he says, the ballroom, what do you want to show me? And he turns a corner.
3: Okay, so there's a ton of doors. They don't have any markings on them. Weird ghost guy. Yeah, I think losing sanity, or shouldn't lose sanity, but having that fail and experiencing that, I think is bringing her back out of her uh, need to be heroic. <laughs> so she is going to turn around and try to exit again.
0: All right, roll sanity.
3: Oh boy. Success. Oof.
0: Lose one san or one willpower.
3: All right, one sand,
0: and you get nowhere.
3: Oh no! <laughs> I yeah. Once she realizes that, she like probably tries to calm herself down and tell her that you know tell herself you know I did this before. It's we seem trapped, and I got out just fine. So just calm down, focus on the exit. You'll get there. She's trying to. She's probably talking. You gotta help me. Too. What?
0: You feel these hands grab you as you're trying to focus, and you turn around. And there is this man standing there. His beard is down to his chest. His strange lock of filthy hair obviously has not been washed in quite some time. And he is panicked. You've got to help me. You've got to get me out of here, please. Okay, okay, Um. who are you? Langford, my name is David Langford. I don't know how long I've been here. You've got to get me out of here, please. You're with them, right? You 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 were with those guys, You're cops, right? You're like fucking feds or something. I heard you, I heard you guys talking.
3: Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, I'm trying to get out, and I grab his hand so I don't, like, lose him. How- Okay, we just have to calm down, right? When we calmed down last time, it seemed to work. I'll get you out of here, I promise.
0: I don't know, I've tried fucking everything, I can't get out of here.
3: Okay, just focus with me for a second, and just breathe, and try to calm down. I know that's asking a lot, this is fucked, but just try to calm down.
0: Are you real? Are you real or is it this place fucking with me again? I'm real. I was here. I was, I was, I was here. I was with, I was fixing the fucking cable. I was, I, I, oh my God. I, I, there was a junction box. Uh, the, 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 cable box was at the top floor. It, it was, I, I, I've been here. It's been months. It's been six, seven months. I, months? I don't even know what's happening anymore.
3: Okay. Do you, have you seen Abigail Williams anywhere? I haven't seen anybody. I just, I uh, just, uh, no. Okay. 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 It's okay. We'll get out. I promise we'll get out. Um, and she like holds onto his hand so that she doesn't like potentially lose him. And she tries to center herself. And again, focus on the exit. I want to get out. I want to go home as much as she can. Roll sanity. 29.
0: 29 and 65. Lose one sand or one willpower.
3: All right. One more sand. Here we go.
0: Why why aren't we moving?
3: I'm trying. David, just, um... Okay. Um, This worked last time. We left, right? We were here and we managed to leave. I just had to focus. And I can't seem to do that again. But we're not going to be stuck here.
0: Uh, Okay, all right, fine. Just get me the fuck out of here.
3: I'm trying. Okay, I'm trying. Just please calm down and try to relax. No, fuck that, what? Relax, are you fucking high? I'm trying my best, okay? But panicking seems to not be working. Last time I got out, because I was able to think clearly and calmly, and so that's what we're going to do. Is that what you think? Yes, that's what I think, because it's it's because it's the only rational thing that makes sense to me right now, and I need to hang on to that little bit of logic that is still present in my brain.
0: Brady. Look the fuck around you. You think this has anything to do with logic or rationality? No, I don't. But what else would you suggest you've been here for months? All of a sudden you hear this tinkling of a music box from around the corner.
3: What the fuck is that? How would I, how would I know? Have you, you haven't heard that before? No. Okay. Does it seem to be getting closer or is it staying in a consistent spot?
0: It does, and eventually this small thing, just over maybe half a meter tall, composed of brass clockwork, wheels, and the smashed remains of a porcelain doll comes wheeling around the corner. Its mouth clacks open and shut as it wobbles on these two uneven wheels. Its arms spin as it moves, and this strange dirge plays from this music box embedded in its chest. The air is filled with this coppery stench as it approaches, and its mechanisms are lubricated with something that looks like blood. The arms are fixed in a crucifixion pose, and the fingers are simple curves carved into porcelain without seams. And it approaches you. And you see that it rolls to a stop before you, its mouth clacks open and shut and open and shut, and there is an invitation on its back.
3: I reach down and I grab the invitation.
0: Printed on finely pressed vellum, and addressed to Ian Frederick de Craig, Prisoner 125101. Join us at the palace, a masquerade to celebrate the new king. Come to dine, come to dance, come.
3: You wouldn't happen to know um, an Ian Frederick de Craig, would you, David?
0: He's gone. Oh, fuck. And so is the clockwork child. Roll sand.
3: Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Critical success. So you lose zero sanity for that. Okay. Cool. I'll take every bit I can get. Yeah, I think she's just with that envelope in hand, walking down the hall, trying to keep it together. But the longer and longer that she seems to just not be getting anywhere, the more she's panicking.
0: You look up from the invitation, and you see a figure standing at the end of the hall. And he's pointing to his left. His face is obscured in shadow, but there's something familiar about it. About him? That's him.
3: Is he pointing towards, like, another hall or a door or anything in specific or just left?
0: It's at a junction. Okay. And so you can't tell what's on the other side.
3: She's going to cautiously and slowly approach him. That panic that she had earlier... Kind of dissipating, or at least not as intense as it was before. And as she gets closer, shes I know it's, his face is kind of obscured, but she's going to try to make anything out that she can. What he's wearing, uh, how tall he is, how his hair is styled, anything to try to make sense of what she's potentially seeing.
0: The memories from that time are so vague, but it's as if you saw him yesterday. But as soon as you get, start to get closer, he begins to walk right.
3: Wait, daddy? He's gone. She stands at that juncture for a minute. So he went right, but he pointed left. So she's going to, oh, fuck. <laughs> um, she's going to go left, but she's going to keep looking over her shoulder almost She can't tell if she hopes that he's back there when she turns around at some point, or if she hopes he's not, but she keeps looking back over her shoulder as she walks left.
0: It's a dead end on the right. He couldn't have gone anywhere.
3: Okay, well this clearly isn't real. I'm just seeing... just seeing things. She heads left, and just gonna keep trying to get out.
0: As you walk, you see two people run across the opening at the end of a distant hallway. Way too suddenly to be seen clearly. A moment later, they're followed by three men in large, odd-looking gas masks, carrying shotguns. After they cross out of sight, all of a sudden you hear these distant, thundering booms. That couldn't be anything other than shotgun blasts. Do you pursue?
3: Trying to think back specifically on that time, if there was any point that she... Having seen what she just saw <laughs> uh, that like gunfire and stuff like that stands out in her memory of any specific moment or if it's just something that maybe isn't relating to her but is just something to be aware of or
0: nothing nothing to jogs any memory
3: okay. yeah, what the hell I've come this far <laughs> uh yeah she walks walks forward with the mentality that the only way out is through at this point
0: as you reach the junction, you find these two. Dead marionettes, life-sized, laying out on the ground, torn open by buckshot. Like everything else you've seen, they're made of clockwork, but red tissue paper is spilling out of them in an approximation of blood. And they're dressed in coats and shirts and pants.
3: I don't think she has the capacity to focus on too much of that, so she's going to... Try to just kind of skirt around them, not get too close, and just keep going down the hall.
0: Make one more sand roll for me. Ooh, oof, fumble. Continue on, you reach another junction and another junction. At this point, you're simply following your gut, because there is no rhyme or reason to this place. And eventually you are back at the smoking lounge.
3: Oh my god. She's gonna book it out of there.
0: Mark s- starts to say something to you as you leave, but you don't hear him as you just hightail it out of the lounge, back down the stairs, and back into the McAllister building.
3: What time is it? Has the time changed at all? Since Maybe late?
0: three seconds.
3: Yeah. She's going to just take a minute and find somewhere to just sit and collect herself, because at this point, I think she's probably crying <laughs> just out of the panic and the things that she saw. So she needs a minute. It's probably what, like ten o'clock. So I don't. She probably won't still be there when Ira and Cassie get there. Um, she will call a cab to take her home eventually, but she needs a minute first. Okay. Uh, do I have the invitation still in my hand? You do indeed. Noise. Okay.
0: We'll say that you eventually make it back home, and uh, Luke hasn't gotten back yet.
3: That's fine. I don't need him to see me like this. <laughs> She's just gonna take a cold shower, and go to bed and fall asleep as best as she can.
0: All right, let me see how much willpower you gain back, because you do gain willpower by sleeping, so... Okay, good. (laughs) Uh, So when you get a full night's sleep, uh, you regain 1d6, so roll 1d6. Okay,
3: nice, I'll take it.
0: And I'll give you one extra for playing to some of your motivations.
3: All right.
0: Yeah, so I'll I'll give you a, a solid four.
3: Sweet, thank you. And she completely forgets to page everyone that she made at home. So you guys never get that page.
0: So the night progresses. And Ira, what do you end up doing? Yeah, he's going to go and knock on Cassandra's door. Cassandra, you've fallen asleep at your desk with the scrapbook and the photos. But you're startled out of your slumber by the sound of knocking on your hotel room door.
2: Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah she starts to like not jolt awake but definitely definitely realizes that she had actually passed out in her seat and that the light was still on and that her bed was still uh for the most part untouched and she looks down and sees herself in the clothing that she was wearing earlier that night and uh, she goes to the door she instinctively makes sure to get the uh make sure that she has her her holster on her her gun and as she does, she sees the time that it's like closer to two a.m., and she goes to the door and peeks through the peephole. And I assume she sees Ira there, and then she will uh, sigh relief and very gently open the door just enough so that you see her face. What do you? What? What's going on? You said you wanted to find out what happened to him. <sighs> All right, I'll get my things, and uh, she opens the door wide enough to let you in. Uh, he'll come in. Shut the door behind him and uh she'll start to gather up her kit uh back into the duffel bag that she had brought earlier. As she does, she moves towards you but makes makes sure to close the scrapbook uh and put it aside and heads towards you.
1: Yeah, he notes that but doesn't doesn't do anything about it. But he is going to like kind of step towards her a little bit. You good for this? Depends on how bad it is. But I've seen enough. He gives a nod of his head and then turns to leave.
2: She'll follow. And when we, as we get down to the lobby in the elevator, she'll ask him, so do we need to do anything before? Do I do we need to pick up anything? Just a rental car. A rental car. Alright, well we'll have to ask the front desk about that. No. I already looked up where to get one. Oh, okay. Well lead the way then. Okay. And yeah, she will follow as he dictates.
0: So uh, where are you heading?
2: Uh, so he's going to go to a uh, late night
1: car rental place, probably by an airport, whatever the closest airport is. Pick up something with a considerable amount of trunk space, if he can. Yeah. And then head to the building.
0: All right. Yeah. We'll say you get your hands on a, uh, we'll go with a blue 1995 Ford Bronco. So uh, yeah, you, you um, drive up to the McAllister building.
1: What's your plan going to be? Kind of depends on the, uh, the layout of the building. So if there's an alley or something next to the building that, that's big enough for him to park the Bronco in, he'll do that in a place where it's going to be as close to an entrance as possible because he doesn't want to be carrying a body wrapped in a sheet for a very long period of time. Plan is for us to go to the apartment. I'm going to pull the sheets off his bed, wrap his body up in them. We're going to put them in the trunk of the car, drive to a, some body of water. There's plenty of them around. Throw the body in the river, drive back to the hotel. I think that's it, right?
0: Okay let's let's do our rolls and see because you've got the keys to get into the building and his apartment,
2: right? Yes, crap. Yeah. Okay. So,
0: roll alertness.
2: Is this at the building?
0: Yes. And uh, so, one of you, one of you, pick whoever's gonna.
2: I've got an eighty-four. Go for it.
0: Twenty-six out of eighty-four. Whew. So there are people out and about. This is a rough neighborhood at night. Um... But there doesn't seem to be anybody paying particular attention to you or your your car or the building. Sweet. All right, so you head inside and you get to
1: Manuel's
2: uh, apartment. Yeah,
1: Ira will unlock the door and open it and then make an after you gesture.
2: Uh, yeah, Cassandra will step ahead and I'm sure at this point, as soon as she steps in, she smells the scent of of death and...
0: Well, I'll stop you there. You actually don't smell anything. There's no body.
1: Uh, Ira's gonna, like, seeing her not have the reaction that he thought she would have, he's gonna lean past her and look over her shoulder. Hmm.
0: Roll sanity, Ira. Yes!
2: 25 out of 74. You lose one. Okay. What? What is it? Where What am I? Turn on the light here. And uh, you see that she takes out a glove and sl- slaps it under her hand and looks for the, a light switch.
0: Yeah, you find one.
2: Okay, yeah, and she turns on the light. Is there, there's nothing in the living room where?
0: Mm.
2: Nothing. So what did you bring me out here?
1: No, I'm not too sure. There should be a body here.
2: Handler, could I do, I don't know if it would be a search or alertness... I just want to look around and see if there's been any trace of anybody else in here since we've been, since we visited his apartment, if anything in the apartment has changed since we've been here.
0: I will make you roll uh, just with your search skill as it is. You look around and you take time to just kind of get a feel for the place based on how it was when you last left it. Granted, something obviously, well, at least according to Ira, transpired there after you left the first time. Uh, but it doesn't look like anything's been messed with or tampered with or moved from what you can tell based on what you saw last time. Okay.
2: Cassandra will go to the fridge and see if there's anything inside, if it's still the same uh, expired but not expired food in there.
0: Yeah, same same foodstuffs that were there before with the same expiration dates and uh, the same unspoiled food. Okay.
2: I want to check out his bedroom and bathroom too to see if he has any kind of medication, if he has any kind of journals, if he has any anything that would, that he's used to either document what's been happening in the apartment building or anything that gives us an insight into his own mental state.
1: Uh, IRA will close the door behind him and, and just kind of chill and watch.
0: This time I would say
1: make a make a search
0: roll. Well, it's 20 out of 71. You end up kind of retracing your steps from the last time when you tried to look through this place. Now, you, you know, you've gotten a little bit of sleep. You're a little more focused. You search and you find that there was this plastic plant base and the kind of the, the common area, and there was a hidden recess in there and you find unlabeled audio cassettes, what looks to be a copy of a play and a bronze medallion.
2: Is there a title to the play? And what does the medallion look like?
0: Well, start with the medallion. So the medallion is exceptionally made. When opened, it reveals it's a double locket uh, that once held two pictures. One looks like it's been scraped away, uh, leaving a bit of paper and glue behind. And the other depicts a, a beautiful woman with long brown hair, dressed in a manner that suggests this picture has to be from the 1900s, maybe. There's swirls and rosettes and filigrees, you know, inlaid in the metal, but the locket is mundane and there are no recognizable symbols from what you can tell.
2: Okay, I'll
0: put it in my bag. As for the play, it's a relatively thick play. Certain portions of it have have been underlined in red ink. Uh, But one of the excerpts that catches your eye, scene, the smoking lounge, a large parlor on the fourth floor. In the room are the dog, Thomas, and Michelle. Enter Mark Rourke. Mark. Abigail is gone. She moved upstairs today. Thomas. And? Mark. I miss the kid. Michelle. Her dad, that pig, came around. She doesn't like you, Mark. No one likes you. Anyway, she ran off with that salesman. Everyone knows it. Mark. Fuck you, you bitch. Thomas. Come on, guys. Come on. The dog barks. Someone is heard coming up the stairs, a loud racket reverberating up and down the staircase. Mark. Who is that? Everyone stops to listen. Michelle. Who could be down there? Who is that? Mark steps to the doorway and leans to look down the stairs. Mark. Hello? Hello? Enter federal agents.
2: Do I see any date uh, as to when it was written or published, or do I see uh, an author? name. You see none of that. She uh, rolls it up and stuffs it into the bag.
1: Seeing her take those things, Ira's gonna look at her and go, I know you're not gonna listen, but
2: I feel like I gotta say it anyways. Bad idea. If we don't believe he's going to come back, we should think about getting some of his things, preparing some kind of away bag. Why? Because if he's gone and he has family, he They'll come here, and if he still has all of his items here, and if he looks like someone or something took him, they're going to press further, and there is a chance
1: it'll come back to us. Two missing people from the same building in a couple of months? They're going to press no matter what we do. The less we get involved with his things, the better. We should... You don't happen to have a Walkman, do you? No. If you want to collect his things,
2: you feel like it's important, go ahead. And I think it's a bad idea. Does Manuel have a, a either a Walkman or a stereo, a portable stereo? He does. the The apartment is filled with stereo equipment, so we'll say you you actually are able to find a a Walkman. She'll t- if there if it's possible she'll take she'll take a, like a boombox or a portable stereo. Otherwise, she'll take a Walkman.
0: Oh yes, uh,
2: boombox type. You find that relatively easily. Yeah, and if she can find it, a pair of headphones, and then she'll start to pack up and. Make sure that uh, nothing looks like it's been as disturbed as possible and start to head out.
1: Yeah, Hyrule will shake his head in disappointment, but not mention it again. There's
0: really not much for you to cover up. You just move things back to where they were. You rotate the plant base to roughly where you had seen it when you discovered this this hidden compartment. And uh, you kind of rearrange some of the stereo equipment to cover up where it was that you had pulled the boom box from and the headphones, but it doesn't take you very long. And eventually
2: you both make your way out of the building. Actually, right before we go, I want to hit up the fridge and I want to take something. Uh, I don't know the exact contents, but if he has something like um, something small, but that would, that's, that's perishable. Like whether it's like a small uh, bottle of milk or like lunch meat or something like that, that, Would you know that would show signs of uh, decay or or mold or anything like that? I want to take that and put it in my bag as well.
0: Okay, yeah, uh, definitely. So, yeah, you find uh, there's a a half drunk carton of milk, some cold cuts in there.
2: Yeah, just something, just a single thing to like make because I want to see if it if it uh, degrades in in quality after we leave the apartment. So, yeah, I'll take uh, just like the carton of milk and uh, make sure that it smells fresh when I open it.
1: Please don't drink that.
2: I'm not going to drink it. Just want to make sure that it's that it's still the way that I think it is. Yeah, sure enough, it still smells fresh. Okay, yeah, she'll close it and uh, pack it away, and she'll head out with, with Ira. Lock the door, but before we go, check his mailbox.
1: Ira will give us a slight nod of his head. So, yeah, Ira locks the door behind him when they leave. Uh, and then as they're leaving, uh, goes to check his mailbox.
0: So there's just some junk mail. I mean, at this point, it's it's the mailbox is just crammed with mail, most of it being junk mail. But you do find a couple of letters from an Elaine and Arthur Manuel with a Hempstead, Long Island address. Hmm. He'll motion Cassandra
2: over. Is there anything other than junk? Yes.
1: He kind of holds up the letters with the the names on them towards her.
2: She'll uh, very gently take them from his hand and put them in her bag as well. Would you mind dropping me off uh, back at the hotel before you return the car?
1: I'm going to keep the car for a few days. Fair enough. Uh, and then on the drive back to the hotel... Well, at what point do you check the milk, Cassie?
2: So, um, as we're driving, I would probably check it maybe like about, uh, 15 minutes after we leave the building.
0: As soon as you crack open that carton, like even you smell it, Ira, and it is just putrid,
2: Mm. curdled,
0: disgusting, (coughs) months-old milk.
2: (coughs) Oh, God. Roll sand. I opened the carton. Uh, and turn on the overhead light, does it look any different, or is it just curdled milk?
0: Oh yeah, no, it's fucking disgusting. It is just curdled
2: and putrid and yellow. Alright, pull over, I'll I'll, I'll I'll toss it.
0: Yeah, so Ira, with a 35 out of 73, you lose nothing. And Cassie, yeah, with a 20 out of 56, you lose nothing as well.
2: Alright, yeah, uh, as soon as we kind of pull over, she'll uh, look around, and if there's no trash can, she'll just pour it out into the gutter and then crush the carton and toss it into a nearby bush. Easily done. And yeah, we head back to the hotel. He will say uh,
1: as, as you're driving back,
2: he should have been there. Where should I have been? No, he should have been there. Oh, what did you do to him?
1: He's gonna give her a look like, come on. When,
2: what did you specifically do to him? I crushed his windpipe. And you made sure he was dead.
1: And this is like a real bitch-please-lucky gives you. He was dead.
2: Let's get back to the hotel. I think we need to look into this a lot more before we go back into that building. I agree. I understand, and part of me agrees, that that building should burn. But if it's capable of doing the things that it's done to us, that it's... Perhaps even done to its own tenets. I it I I have never experienced anything like this before, and I unless you have. Not like this. What have you experienced then?
1: Uh he looks uncomfortable, but he doesn't reply.
2: I understand that you're uncomfortable, but I but maybe whatever you've been through, whatever you've seen might I dunno, if maybe if you even just talk about it, maybe something will come out of it. Maybe maybe we can apply it to this.
1: Cassandra, no.
2: Alright, I won't press it, but all I'm trying to say is that (laughs) whatever is going on does not seem like it's obeying any kind of laws that we understand, at least the way that we understand them to be. And something as common as fire, (laughs) I don't even know if it would hurt whatever's in there, whatever's... I feel strange you've been talking about it as if it's a as if it's a thing
1: we don't know that fire would work, but we don't know that it wouldn't.
2: Why do I get the feeling that like this is a this isn't just a phenomena this is a there's something about this building that feels like an entity like a when I'm in there, I feel like I'm inside another body, whatever it is,
1: we don't need to understand
2: it. You don't need to understand it, but maybe maybe I do, like i said i've Whatever this thing is showing us, whatever we're encountering, I've I've seen pieces of it before. Well,
1: I can't stop you. I won't stop you. But just remember what I said before. If you cross the line, I can't help you anymore.
2: What's this? What's to keep you from going over the line yourself?
1: He kind of shrugs. I try to avoid as much of this as I can. That's all I can do. All I know what to do.
2: She turns uh, her head forward and just uh, looks out the windshield, and then turns away from him, looking out of the outside of the passenger side window, and just does as she was doing before, just watching the, the lights in the city go by as they drive back to Hell's Kitchen.
0: We'll say uh, you arrive back at the hotel. I'm guessing you go your separate ways.
1: Yeah, I think so.
2: Yeah, she'll take her her big old bag of tricks and. Head back to her room, but she's not going to go straight to bed. She immediately goes uh, and finds an outlet and sets the uh, the boombox up, and she is going to spend the remainder of the night with headphones going through the different tapes that she collected. All
0: right, so roll 1d6 for me. Three. So you lose that much willpower from staying up all night. Oh, fantastic. But uh, oddly enough, there's Really nothing on the tapes. It's just ambient sounds of a nearly empty hallway at
2: night. Okay. Yeah. I mean, she'll listen to as many as she can before before 8 a.m. And if she finds nothing, she won't report it. But she'll at least have like a notepad with her just in case she hears anything and she can document it.
0: You do occasionally hear like what sounds to be like the distant sound of someone or something running. Maybe like a, like a dog. But nothing else, nothing that stands out to you. No voices, no discernible voices or conversations, just ambience.
2: And uh, I'll also say that she made sure to put both the script and the book in a safe space within the hotel room, like a safe or something like that.
0: Okay. Yeah, easy enough. Eight o'clock the next morning. What is the plan?
3: Jenny does arrive with all the coffee orders that they had mentioned the day before.
1: Uh, When you hand Ira his like, large black coffee, he gives you the first smile you see on his face. It's very small, but still gives you a smile.
3: She kind of gives him, like, a little nod, half-nod in return.
1: Can I... I have a really low human, but can I human her to see if she's insane now?
3: (laughs) Yeah, and uh, so, uh,
0: Jenny, if you want to roll a competing persuade to kind of make it seem like nothing's wrong, and then Cassie, with the coffee, roll 1d6 for me.
2: And I'll say that too, that uh, she would have called Mark just uh, a little bit maybe earlier in the morning to get him over there. Okay. Ooh,
4: one.
0: So, okay, so for you, Cassie, the coffee will offset the, uh, any potential skill penalty for one hour.
4: Okay. Now, Mark's humant is an 80, but with Jenny's critical success on her persuade of a 77, I don't think I can beat that. Give it a shot. I mean I would I would think this would just be uh you know marks just looking to, at everybody to see if they seem rested that sort of thing. But
0: okay, yeah, fair enough.
4: Uh yeah, 35.
0: Yeah, so uh so Jenny with a 77 out of 80, Ira the 49 out of 10 on that human. She seems pretty fine. She seems eager to get to work.
4: Cool. All right, so uh, what's the plan then? Uh, I'm going to head down to the uh, police department and uh, see what I can what headway I can make on checking up on these names. Mark has a, a list of names that he's written out, which will include, you know, like uh, Roger Croon, Mark Rourke, Abigail Wright, Thomas Manuel, and then the other residents of the building.
2: Can you check and see if there's a Michelle that lives here?: Michelle. I don't remember her name.
3: Why Michelle?
2: Something that I found at uh, at the scene um, when I was going over some of the, the f- photos from last night. Uh, I saw a name, Michelle, pop up.
4: Michelle. All right. He writes it down.
3: Out of character, because the internet is still a baby at this point. If I know we were talking about me also looking into some names. Is there a way that I could do that that does not involve like? The police? <laughs> I don't really know where a Jenny would head to go look into things herself, too.
0: So there is the internet. Okay. There's uh, city records at City Hall. Okay. That's always a good start. But yeah, there there is an internet that will at least get you started. Uh, it's it's not phenomenal.
3: Okay. Yeah, then so maybe I'll just plan to head to a library where they have a computer.
0: Yeah, I mean, your university probably has a phenomenal library, so.
3: Okay, perfect. That was out of character, so we're good. Cool. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, you bet.
0: Um would, would she be comfortable like doing that research at her library or at her school or?
3: Yeah, I think so. Just cuz it's a place she's familiar with.
0: So, okay, so Mark was going to NYPD. Right. Uh Jenny was going to either City Hall or the university or both.
4: I mean, there would be an FBI, there's a, there's a, there's a New York City FBI agency as well. I could probably go there to. Is. I, but would that be better than NYPD?
0: potentially not like so so just by checking records you might just be able to find that NYPD has one uh but since you know the information sharing especially over the internet was still very much in its infancy it was still in development um it, you would probably end up having to go to either city hall or the NYPD to pull the the hard copy record anyway
4: right right that's that's kind of what i figured also and, and i w- i would assume that there would be people at NYPD who could who could help me if I'm able to get that help.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And Cassie and Ira, what is
1: your plan?
2: Uh, Cassie's plan was to start disassembling Abigail's apartment and looking for more clues. Okay.
1: Yeah. And Ira will be essentially staying with anyone who's going to the apartment. Um, So if anybody heads to the apartment building, He'll, he'll go with them under the assumption that that's likely the most dangerous, the most dangerous of the various different things that they'll be doing. So that's where he'll most likely be needed.
0: All right. So you'll be going with uh, Cassie then. And, I'm, and so you will not be helping your search though.
1: If she specifically asks for his help in something, he'll help her. If not, he'll just be there keeping watch. But he's very specifically trying his best not to interact with the actual stuff if that makes sense he's there to deal with like violence related problems when they arise
0: so with that let's start with let's over mark so where are you starting and who are you researching or what are you researching
4: well i think first thing mark's gonna do is stop at a uh, bagel place and pick up uh, you know like a, a box of a dozen bagels with some cream cheese and and that sort of thing, and take it with him to the uh, to the MIPD station. All right, and uh, he he shows up in the door and walks to the front desk and says says uh, hello. Uh, yeah, my name is uh, Mark Handsome. I'm I'm here from the Buffalo uh, FBI uh, office. I I'm working a case and I need some help looking up some names and other details of, uh, people here in New York city that might be associated with this missing persons. I, I would really appreciate if you, by the way, would you like a bagel?
0: Yeah, they, they take it and they are, they are more than willing to to help you out uh, at this point. They kind of direct you to their like information services section they walk you back themselves. And, uh, so you've got the run of the place. So you tell me what you would like to uh, look up. I'll tell you if a role is necessary to get access to that, but we'll, we'll see what we can find.
4: Okay, I think what I probably what I should do is start at the top of my list because uh, I've got a lot of of things to look up. Probably the first thing is uh, I just want to do a check on the McAllister Bit Building itself, uh, when it was built, uh, who it was built by, who's owned it over the years, any unusual things that have happened there, that sort of thing.
0: Okay. Fair enough. Uh, so yeah, the, the record section, they, um, they unfortunately don't have any of like the permit or blueprint related information. They direct you to city hall for that, uh, but they are able to... Um, what's, your, what's your bureaucracy or criminology at?
4: Bureaucracy is at 60 and Perfect, criminology is at 70.
0: Even better. Uh, so yeah, they're more than willing to assist. They are able to pull a list of crimes that were related to the McAllister building. Through that, you're able to determine that the architect was Asa Severin Derabondi.
4: Asa Severin Derabondi. Okay, so Derabondi, Dar- And that's interesting.
0: So Derabandi was born on 28 May of 1886, disappeared in 1950, and declared dead on September 2nd,
4: 1960. Where was he last seen when he disappeared? The obvious answer I'm looking for is the McAllister building, but I guess that's not the case.
0: It is not. So he was last seen in actually in New York, but not in the McAllister building. So what you find is that he was suspected to have drowned at least five, possibly as many as 20 children between
4: 1947 and 1950. Fuck. Whoa. Five to 20 children. As little as five.
0: Between 1947 and
1: 1950. Shit. I was not expecting
4: that. Holy cow. That's one bad dude. Wow, he was in New York when he disappeared. Interesting.
0: Then you read, uh, as far as the other crimes, Charles Lundeen, who was the son of the building owner and by all accounts from what appears to be a, a talented musician, hanged himself in the second floor ballroom. On 30 August, 1950.
4: Okay, now he hung himself in the ballroom in 1950?
0: 30, on August 30th, yep.
4: August 30th, 1950. Interesting. So, I mean, both in the same year.
0: And then on April 30th, 1952, Henry Lundine, the owner of the building, uh-huh. was found in the staircase to the roof... Dressed in these strange plastic silver robes wearing a paper mache mask.:
4: Okay, n- 1952, that was.: Yep. And, and he was found top floor.
0: Uh yeah, I, on the actually, in the, on the staircase to the roof.: Okay.: The uh, file contains photos showing a, a fat man in, in black and white sprawled on the third floor landing, wearing this expressionless white paper mache mask. And the uh, NYPD determined he had died of a massive, of a massive stroke.
4: Okay. That pro- changes a little bit what I want to look at because...
0: Do you dig more into Darabandi?
4: Yes, uh, definitely.
0: Yeah, with the criminal records, you find that on 30 August, on August 30th, 1950, a fire had broken out in his office on Mott Street in New York City. After the fire was extinguished, the uh, fire department recovered the body of a five-year-old girl named Isabel Sauer, and she had died from drowning next to a wash tub filled with bloody water. A uh, warrant was issued for Bondi's arrest, and it was soon discovered that Bondi owed nearly $200,000 to the bank and that he kept a logbook of accounts, which implied he killed perhaps 20 children since his arrival in New York in 1921. So when I said he had killed uh the the 20 children, the police had determined that he drowned, they confirmed that he drowned five between nineteen forty-seven and nineteen fifty. But this logbook shows that he may have killed as many as twenty since nineteen twenty-one.
4: Interesting. So this is nineteen fifty, so that's like forty-five years ago. Is there any kind of like A Darabondi – I mean, is the Darabondi family still living in New York City? Their Darabondi mansion?
0: Nothing from what you can tell, um, at least with the records you currently have access to. The last thing you're able to find is that on September 2nd of 1960, his 91-year-old mother, Miriam Darabondi, had him declared legally dead by the state of New York. Okay. But yeah, so nothing else in the NYPD – um, and their records related to this. You might be able to find more on him if you look through other channels, but he was an architect, so it's very likely he could have built other buildings. Or
4: Right, right. So probably, so City Hall would be the place to go to look for that information, right? Rolling times five. All right. That's a 22 critical success.
0: The public library would probably be an even better, an even better place. Okay. Either city, yeah, Either City Hall or the public
4: library. All right. Here's the thing. I think what I, uh, after getting this information about Derek Bondi, Mark is going to call uh, Jenny and probably leave a message on her answering
0: machine. Yeah. Does Jenny have a pager, or what? What sort of communications does she have access to? I'll say it's up to you.
3: Sure. For the sake of convenience, we'll say she has a pager, so you don't have to leave a message on her like apartment phone, where her boyfriend might <laughs> might hear whatever you're about to say.
4: All right. Well, I'll I'll ask one of the uh, people here at the at the information and records department. Is there a number I can leave for somebody? I I have a colleague I'd like to uh, discuss this with.
0: Of course, absolutely.
4: All right. So I will call Jenny's pager and leave uh, that number.
0: Yeah, and it's to the NYPD records section. But while this is going on, let's see what Jenny's been up to.
3: Yeah, so I'm making her way to the university library, and she is specifically looking into some of the names that she came across last night. So I don't know the full first name, but I know we had G. Castain, which was found on the clockwork girl was G, and then Mr. Castain was the name they gave me for the super, or the night manager. And then I want to look up Ian Frederick de Craig and the prisoner number as well.
0: So we'll start with the Castains, Okay. So you find a book called The Dream of Perpetual Motion* by Elizabeth T. Calhoun, was published in 1988. Um, And in this book, it lists that in 1423, Gabriel Chastain turns 21 and was given his father's letter and the contents of a lockbox, as well as his papers as a journeyman clockmaker, and subsequently vanishes for two years. In 1435... The estate of Gabriel Castain, formerly Chastain, is reported to be filled with marvels of clockwork, and Castain has spent years building automatons, clocks, and small spring-based machines. And in 1446, rumors started to spread in France that Gabriel Chastain's father had discovered the secret to perpetual motion and passed it on to his son.:
3: Can I look into what the theory of perpetual motion is?: You can
4: basically it's it's this idea that you can build a machine that uh, that will defy the laws of physics by never stopping running
1: yeah it's perfectly efficient never loses energy through motion Yeah,
3: interesting okay
4: so yeah so the the idea is you could like generate infinite energy off of such a thing but it's it's impossible because of the laws of physics
0: right and you also digging further you find another book called architectural oddities of medieval europe Uh, written by Rupert Walters in 1966. In May of 1402, uh, the 15th century Chastain House of Rames is considered strange because its every wall contains a door, even those opening to the outside on upper floors. Uh, The builder, Michel Chastain, is rumored to have disappeared inside after placing his affairs in careful order. Little is known about him. In January 1403... After announcing he had cracked the cipher of his cousin, Michel Chastain, Augustus Chastain keeps a book detailing his experiments and quote-unquote operating the codes. Uh, This mostly appears to mean opening certain doors in the house while calling uh, certain phrases and names into them. He claims he has found secret doors to a school, a hospital, a bookseller, catacombs, an inn, and a great metropolis all within these walls. And then in 1425, Gabriel Chastain purchases uh, Chateau de Port back from various intermediaries having somehow come into possession of a new fortune.
3: Does it have any information on the types of codes or things that um, that guy said to operate all the secret doors and stuff? Or is it just that he had a system?
0: Just that he had a system. And I think it would be called for you to roll maybe a little bit of a sanity roll. Might sound a little familiar.
3: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Success. You lose one. Now as for Ian DeCraig, since you're kind of just looking in, in, in books at this point, uh you do find a book called Gangsters, Goons, and Joliet, a History, uh which was written by Stephen Robb in 1949. Uh it states that in August, on August 30th, 1925, Ian F. DeCraig disappeared from Joliet Prison. Uh, it was discovered that he had been bribing guards for decades and created dozens of painted canvas backdrops, rolling set pieces and pieces of prop furniture in that time. One item was this huge, old-looking set door. Uh, it was brought into the prison at great expense in August of 1925. Uh, DeCraig disappeared from a locked room during one of his days working on this set, and he's never seen again.
3: Interesting. Okay. Okay, yeah, we can move on to someone else while I take in that information.
0: Okay. Cassandra and Ira, we'll say you get back to Abigail Wright's apartment. And uh, if you want to begin searching, uh, Cassandra, I will give you, uh, you have two search rolls you can make for the day, Uh, four if Ira wants to uh, contribute, but if it's going to be you at this point, you can make two and I'll give you the plus 20% bonus to your first roll since you spent so much
2: time going over the uh, Polaroids. Yeah, I was going to ask because I know I had the, the 20%, but then I also had the penalty because I stayed up all night, so... I'll give you the 20%. Okay, flat. Yeah. Um. So yeah, she'll get in, start to get situated, uh, tie her hair back, put on the gloves, put on the little booties if she needs to. And she'll look back at Ira. You can come in and you know. Not my area. Well, I could use the extra set of hands if if you're willing to.
1: His eyes kind of flick down to the stuff. Back up to her. He gives a little shake of his head. Call me if you need me. And then he's going to step outside into the hall and close the door.
2: All right. And with that, I will roll my search, my first search. All right. Uh, so that's a 60 out of 71 success. Do you want me to roll the second one just in case? Or? Yeah,
0: yeah. Go ahead and roll the second one while you're at it. 22. 22. Critical success, with a 71.
2: The first thing you find is
0: a... Elegant page of cream-colored stationery glued to the wall. It's crumpled, but it's new. The heading reads Hotel Broadalbin, New York City, in an Art Deco font, but there is no street address. Scribbled in pen is a rudimentary map that shows an elevator marked with an X and the letters E-L-E-V, and various tunnels, leading to a smaller X, which reads J-L
2: Bottle. Uh, yeah, she'll uh, she'll put it aside, kind of uh, setting aside maybe like a little pile of things that might be important.
0: The next thing you find is a a receipt, a yellowed receipt made out to Abigail Laura Wright. Uh, but the signature of the person who filled it out can't be read as it's little more than a scroll. Uh, the receipt is for one month's rent of $850 in July for apartment 10B. Although the handwriting is recent, the receipt does appear to be old.
2: So I've got the receipt, I've got the stationery piece with the little map. Uh, Is there anything else that I find of interest?
0: Just those two. So yeah, each day you get two search rolls, and each one reveals something else.
2: Alright, so yeah, I will, uh, as I'm doing this, I'm kind of disassembling and sort of sectioning off chunks of this massive... uh, Guess installation you could call it and putting it just kind of in a nearby corner like is it you know just kind of like stacking it up um as i go through it but uh what's your forensics at again my forensics is at 70 and i don't know if it helps but i'm planning on staying at least until the same time that we that we got there the previous day
0: yeah so it's going to take you that much time just to find those items kind
2: of going through all the junk okay
0: Unless, uh, unless you, you manage to convince Ira to help you out,
2: apparently not. But I will actually, at one point, uh, after I find the 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 map uh, based on the the hotel stationery, I'll take a little bit of a little bit of a break, and uh, I'll go to Ira. Ira, can you can you do, do me one favor? Okay perhaps two uh the first is um i am getting a bit hungry uh, i can give you some cash if you wouldn't mind uh, just getting me a, a sandwich from uh one of the bodegas down the street um the other though is if you wouldn't mind just checking manuel's apartment to see if everything is as we left it and to just check the door don't Go in, but just check the door upstairs to see if you hear anything.
1: It is lunchtime. Why don't you come
2: with me? I would like to continue digging through this. It's a lot. And she gestures to the chaos behind her. It'll only
1: take about a half an hour. I don't want to leave you here by yourself.
2: I'm fine. I'm not going upstairs. I'm going to be down here. But again, if you could just check those things...
1: I'm not going to go and get food unless you come with me.
2: I'm not hungry then. I just, I I have work to do here.
1: And he'll turn back to like go forward facing, uh, looking at the hallway wall again.
2: Should I just go upstairs myself and check then? If you'd like to go, I'll come with you. You Fine. And uh, she puts down uh, something that she was kind of disassembling and sets it aside and starts to head out the door and walk up the steps.
1: Uh, yeah, Manira will go with
2: her. Yeah, she'll head up all the way up to the roof access door. And she's not going to open it just yet, but she's going to press her ear to the door to hear, it, see if she hears anything.
0: You don't really hear anything, just the ambient sounds of the city on the other side.
2: Okay, well, hearing that, she's going to put her fingertips to the doorknob. Does it feel like it's locked? Uh, no. Yeah, she's going to turn very carefully, turn the doorknob and just crack the door open enough to see if she can see or hear anything else. You see the roof. Seeing the roof, she swings the door open and just steps through.
0: Yeah, that is the roof of the McAllister building.
2: You see this. Ira. You-
1: mm-hmm.
2: She steps out probably about 10 feet if it's possible to see if there's any sign of what was there last night. She looks over uh, the edge to you know, just to see if she sees the traffic and the the other apartment buildings around.
1: Ira will step up to fill the doorway uh, and then use his foot to make sure that the door stays propped open but won't follow her onto the roof.
2: There's nothing. Yeah, uh, Cassandra looks back at Ira and she just kind of has this befuddled, helpless expression on her face. All sanity. It's waiting for that. Both of you.
0: Swire with a 57 out of 73, you lose nothing. Cassie with a 69 out of 56, you lose one. And with that, let's head back to Mark.
4: Yeah, so I think. So this is interesting to me because two of the things that, of the names that came up in this search were on bottles that we found.
0: In the, in the photos, right? Yeah. In the
4: photos. Yes. And so I think the first, the next thing that Mark's going to look at is do y'all have any information on a, a Temperance, a Jane Fry?
0: Uh, they don't have anything on
4: that name. Okay. In that case, we talked about Michelle. Is there a way to get a list of current residents of? The or or, or recent residents of the, the McAllister Building.
0: Oh yeah, I'd say that's easy enough.
4: So, well, I guess I mean if they're able to pull a list, that that would be useful. But especially is is there any, any a Michelle on that list?
0: Ah, uh, there is. So the tenants are currently identified as Abigail Wright, Thomas Manuel, Roger Karoon, Louis Post, and Michelle Van Fitz.
4: Uh, Okay, so that's who Van Fitz is. Do I get a call back from uh, Jenny?
0: Yeah, I'd say uh, at this point, Jenny, you probably received the page and uh, with the number.
3: Yeah, I'll give it a call. Jenny,
4: I'm not sure where you're planning on heading for all this information, but uh, I got a big, big bomb dropped over here. There's a man named Asa. Severin Derabondi. sounds like some kind of serial killer he was the architect of, of the McAllister building Jenny
3: Darabondi, we saw that name on one of those weird photos in the hall
4: I know, Yeah.
3: any of the other names pop up?
4: Henry Lundin he was the owner of the McAllister building I mean just, you know, my gut tells me that the best place to go to find out more information about this Derek Bondi uh fella is uh is the public library. Are we you planning on heading that direction?
3: I'm at the university one. I can do a quick search here. Let you know if I find anything then we can meet up at the public library to cross reference.
4: Alright. Well, I I've, I've still got some names and, and different leads to go through here, but uh Oh, sure. Yeah.
3: All right, so I'll look up Darabondi, and then, if I have time, maybe Henry Lunding as well. And then maybe I'll try and see if I can do some sort of, or if you want to, cross-reference some of those other names that we had read, if there's any kind of overlap with the McAllister building in the last, I don't know, I guess 40 or so years, it seems to go back.
4: Yeah, I don't know. I look for uh, for that Temperance uh, Fry. Uh, They don't have any information about her. I did find out Michelle is probably Michelle Van Fitz. She's living in the building as well. You remember Van Fitz on the... Yeah. Yeah.
3: One of the residents. Okay.
4: All right. Well...
3: And the temperance photo was the only one that was empty.
4: Right. That's, That's why I thought it was strange, too.
3: Do you think it's waiting to be filled? by someone with that name it's we just haven't found her yet
4: none of this makes sense to me jenny
3: yeah okay well i'll keep my eyes open if i happen to run across it
4: all right well hey you doing
3: all right yeah no it's just like you said it's a lot
4: yeah it is well if, if you want to talk about it just let me know yeah we will do all right, uh, right. So I'm going to finish up here another hour or so, and maybe we should meet at the public library.
3: Yeah, sounds good. I'll meet you there.
4: All righty. I'm going to try to look up some of the other names uh, from those bottles. Okay. Start out with E. Lucette.
0: You don't find much of him. There's nothing for him
4: in New York in New
0: York City records.
4: No. Okay. Let's just go down the list. Jay Lenz.
0: Actually, yeah, I'll, I think I have the list here. So yeah, I'll, I'll go through this for you. Um, nothing for Linz. Mm-hmm. Next up is E. Mosby. Yeah, nothing for him. Then we've got Carver. Nothing on her. Top Chick, I think you actually do find something on. In New York City, there was a, uh, on May 9th, 1952, Uh, A director named Gary Topchik, who was employed by NBC, he was accused of drowning three children and was found insane and committed to Bellevue Hospital in
4: New York City. He was uh, committed to Bellevue. Is he still alive? He is not. Okay. Bellevue is in New York City?
0: It is, yep. He was committed uh, after a very brief trial in 1953, spent the rest of his life there, there's a possibility that Bellevue might have records, but the NYPD has nothing further on them.
4: Right. So would it would it take a uh a search warrant to uh get information? It's
0: always worth a shot without a warrant.
4: How far is Bellevue? Well, I mean I, mean, I could probably call there, right?
0: Yeah, potentially.
4: All right. So that's probably what I would do.
0: You did have one more name on your list.
4: Oh, yeah.
0: I think it was Lundeen, right?
4: Yes. Oh, well, Lundeen is Henry Lundeen.
0: Right, Henry Lundeen,
4: the former owner. Any any other information about him? Uh we know that his uh death uh occurred uh in the building on uh, on the staircase to the roof. He's wearing a paper mache mask and a, and a plastic robe.
0: Yep, so there you go. Yeah, that's that's what you got.
4: Okay. I'm going to call over to Bellevue and ask them if if they can uh, bring up his records and, and tell me information about him, what he, what he was suffering from, from, what sorts of notes you know, his treating doctors said about, about him.: All right.
0: So we'll come back to that and we'll switch back over to Jenny.:
3: uh, Yeah, looking up anything I can find in the library on Dariabanndi.
0: You do find that the um, municipal library. Uh, actually, according to the records that the uh, university has, that the municipal, municipal library actually has a copy of his journal.
3: Ooh, she leaves immediately to go get it.
0: Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll say that uh, uh, you run on over there in that time. And you do get a copy of the journal, or you're able to review it with your academic credentials and your connections. On 6 May 1921... Casa goes east on a whim and checks into the first hotel to catch his eye, which is the Hotel Braudelbin. On the 10th of May, uh, New York millionaire Henry Lundin, who was the owner of several textile mills, was an admirer of Ian de Craig, and he hoped to secure a copy of something called Lois en June from the architect from Deribondi, but Deribondi's had never had possession of that, that play. On 23 May, Asa Darabandhi receives a phone call at the Hotel Brattlebin. The caller identifies himself as Bale and says that he serves the king and informs Asa Darabandhi of the first child that Darabandi is to kill, which is Peter Deverus, age five, a rival for Asa throne. Darabandi found uh, the child at the designated location and time and drowned him. On 29 May 1921... Uh, Asa Darabandhi was overcome with this monstrous depression and expressed a desire to kill himself. Uh, but he was consoled by his friends at the hotel, including Wilde, Gary T., and Rourke. On 1 June 1921, uh, desperate and terrified by his own actions, Asa Bondi surrenders his treasured copy of something called the Libro Secretorum Manifesta, an unknown bookshop in the hope that he can break free of the urge to kill. Uh, The very next day, a copy of The King in Yellow shows up outside his door at the brothel bin, delivered by a man dressed in red, and the phone calls from bail continue. On 10 April 1922, uh, Asa Darabondi informs Henry Lundeen that he is working on the hotel he has made his home in lieu of any payment. It pretty much has a record of all of his victims with that we'll go back to cassie and ira
2: well yeah she's she's uh standing there flabbergasted on the roof uh looking around looking back at him there's nothing on the roof at all there's nothing like that i can search for to see if there was any trace of anything
0: there's literally nothing it's just uh honestly it's a tar paper rooftop with vents and aerials and open air shafts nothing nothing to ever indicate anything other than a roof
2: was ever there what time of day is it?
0: At this point, say we're definitely in the
2: afternoon. All right, she makes a note of that. I, suddenly, I don't feel so hungry anymore. Why not? She just looks up at you and gives you this sort of "Are you kidding me?" Uh, kind of expression.
1: He gives her a little shrug. I could eat.
2: She shakes her head in disbelief and starts to just march towards you and past you down the steps back to uh, uh, back to Manuel's apartment.
1: He will kind of do a scan of the rooftop, but then quickly close the door and follow her down.
2: And yeah, when he gets downstairs, uh, he would see that she, uh, she's waiting outside of Manuel's apartment and not Abigail's.
1: Yeah, he'll go up, unlock the door, open it.
2: And yeah, when uh, when he opens it, Cassandra wants to go ahead and look around, see if anything's changed, see if maybe his body's materialized, uh, and she is going to go to the fridge.
0: Okay, yeah, nothing else in the apartment, but you go to the refrigerator.
2: Yeah. And what are you looking for? I just want to see if the food is still there and if it's still in pristine condition.
0: Yep. Everything's there. Everything's exactly like you left it.
2: She kind of lingers there with the door of the fridge open and shuts it gingerly, but not forcefully. And she is going to go ahead and go back to Abigail's apartment to continue searching around. This time... Like probably a little bit more determined, but because she the coffee is worn off, you know uh, it's like the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, sort of thing,
0: yeah, so you yeah you were able to find the uh bin uh letterhead, the receipt but you know it'll probably take another another full day to make any more progress
2: yeah she'll she'll just spend the rest of the day until um until either she gets a call or a page from uh one of the other teammates or until she gets to the time that they got there the previous day.
0: And I will say at this point with all the records that you all have checked and reviewed and all the books you've read, it is now well into mid to late afternoon, getting to be early evening.
4: So I think Mark's going to uh, meet Jenny at the public library and say, that's a lot of information to go through. Um, well, you say we head head over to the McAllister building and, and just dump this on the other two.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's a good idea.
4: All right.
3: Jenny heads that way. She's definitely quieter and not her usual chipper self.
4: This Bondi was a bad dude.
3: Yeah, I mean, all those kids. I found a list of all of them. It's.
4: I mean, I think he was an agent of Satan.
3: Yeah, there's something that I found that maybe we should wait until we get with the others but you might not be far off
4: I mean, the bible writes about people like that you know
3: i guess the inspiration had to come from somewhere
4: <sighs> well we taking the subway or you want to grab a cab
3: uh whatever is faster probably the subway
4: yeah, i wouldn't, wouldn't mind riding on the subway again It's kind of fun
3: <laughs> yeah
4: all right
0: and just as you all are wrapping up uh Ira and Cassie, Jenny and Mark arrive.
1: Yeah, they'd probably see him first
2: before they see me.
1: Oh yeah, he's still standing out, uh, standing out in the hallway like ramrod straight. He's doing that thing where you like have your arms in front of you and you're like clasping one of your your wrists. Uh, and he looks up at them, uh, looks at their hands, sees no bags of food, feels disappointed but doesn't show it, and then looks back up at the hallway across from him.
3: There's somewhere we can talk.
1: I guess, yeah. Come on, uh, he'll open the door to uh, the apartment, and all of them will go inside.
0: And a uh, hey, real quick, uh, Cassie, make a sanity roll for me.
2: Yeah, no problem. Ooh, that's an eighty-three out of uh, fifty-five.
0: As you're, you know, going through your search, as you're going through these items in Abigail's apartment, pulling things down, sorting through it, looking for anything of interest, you just cannot shake the sensation that you're being watched.
2: Yeah. She's been kind of, she's been on her hands and knees going through everything, uh, almost maddeningly picking apart everything that she can and sorting it even more thoroughly than she was before she went upstairs and uh, she's got her hair tied back in a ponytail. She has, by this point, her makeup has just kind of faded away and she's just um, the The bags under her eyes are starting to poke through. Um, the exhaustion from last night just seems to be taking over. And by the time the others enter the room, they they would probably see her on on the ground, just sort of looking up at the ceiling uh, occasionally, and various very brief uh, kind of bursts of like looking around and searching, and then going back to pulling apart things on the floor. And you lose one sand, by the way.
3: Okay, great. Uh you have a minute? Uh
2: what? What? Yeah, did you um did you find anything?
4: You are not going to believe some of the stuff we found.
2: No, um I you go first cuz today has not been um What did you do find?
3: The biggest was a name on one of those photos. Um he's a Derabondi. Some kind of child serial killer who operated in the 50s, but it's hard to tell how many kids he actually killed. But he was the guy who built this building. He was an architect, and he has connections to Henry Lending, another name that we saw on those photos. And through his journals, I also found the name Mark Rourke. While I was looking, and I take out the invitations, I came across these, and I hand them. <laughs> uh, so I looked up whoever this Ian Frederick de Craig was. Apparently he was a prisoner in the 1920s who just vanished from a locked prison cell. But on the back of the invitation, it says, references, a king. Apparently Derabondi received... A book i think something that references the king in yellow
2: does that ring any bells
3: not to me i was wondering if it would to you any of you or maybe that case you worked on previously with the people with the robes
2: uh handler does that ring any bells or nope
4: wait does that really not ring any bells to jenny because she's she's the one with all the knowledge of this
0: oh yeah no definitely doesn't ring any bells no okay okay
3: not beyond what I just found, The King in Yellow. Yep. Yeah, and I'll info-dump everything that I found, but yeah.
2: When you were looking, does the does the Hotel Broad-Eblen mean anything to you?
3: Yeah, Derabondi stayed at that hotel for a while.
2: At that point, Cassandra gets off of her... Uh, Guts off the ground and goes towards the little pile that she's been making and hands the receipt uh, not the receipt, she hands the stationery, the letterhead over to Jenny and uh, Jenny and Mark found this embedded in the wall Um, it was uh, I'm not sure, it looked like it was in between a pair of dentures like clenched in its teeth but it doesn't really say anything beyond this map that was drawn on it
3: what's JL Bottle,
4: Jay Lenz. Remember one of the names. Oh, who? Jay
2: Lenz. That could be. Was he? Was he a name on 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 the mailbox or?
4: No, on, remember the. There were a bunch of pictures of bottles, up, the people with bottles up there, and uh, Mark just looked at the ceiling. Jay Lenz was one of the names written on one of those pictures.
3: You think this is maybe the actual physical location of the Jay Lenz bottle? Hmm. Wherever this map is.
2: Here's a strange thought. Did all the bottles in those photos look the same? Was it the same bottle?
3: No, they were all different. The only thing that stood out was that one picture that had a name, but no one in it.
2: Uh, Well, this, this this might be peculiar, but maybe... Maybe it was a part of some kind of hunt. Some Maybe these bottles meant something to these people and they were tasked to find them. Or, And at this point, uh, you see that Cassandra starts to look around the room again and looks up at the ceiling and her eyes kind of hang there for a moment. Almost as if she's looking at someone or something. What time
3: is it? I look down at my clock and tell her, or my watch and tell her.
0: Yeah, it's it's uh, probably like pushing four at this point.
2: So is it like it's earlier than when we got there the first time, right? Yeah. Okay. She looked back down, and I, I searched. I, I did what I could, but I, it's so much here. Um, maybe, perhaps we can go back to the hotel and and go through some more of what you found, some of the other names. And
4: I mean, before we go back, I'm I'm thinking we should. Uh- We should talk to uh, the other inhabitants of the building.
2: Did you find out who Michelle was, by the
4: way? Well, there's a Michelle Van Fitz. That's the Van Fitz that's listed in the mailroom, probably. You
2: see that Cassandra turns away and almost goes a little pale and starts to look around the room, occasionally looking back up at the ceiling and at the walls you okay i I think I've just been in here a long time uh there was something else that I found in in thomas's apartment it was uh it was a screenplay or a script of some kind. I think he was writing it, but he mentions a few of the different tenants michelle he also mentions Mark Rourke though and I didn't get a chance to look at more of it, but the page that I did find, it mentions there's a a scene that mentions a a group of federal agents coming into the building.
3: What, like we did yesterday?
2: No, that don't make no sense. It doesn't make sense, but...
3: What does? (laughs) Ira's going to be
1: watching this... Uh, exchange between them like very very closely uh and again i have a terrible human but i would like to roll it to see if cassandra is actually okay or if she's
2: kind of lost it a little bit
0: yeah go and roll 14 out of
2: 10 Yeah, yeah god damn it the play mentioned abigail and the salesman as well and a dog Uh, I I have to go, and you see that she starts to kind of uh, break from the rest of you, and she is moving out of the apartment and heading back upstairs.
1: Uh, He'll follow her, Ira.
2: And uh, she, she's heading back up towards the roof. Cassandra. And she doesn't even finish that, she just opens the door.
3: I'd like to humant her at this point as well. Go for it. Trying to, to see how concerned we should be right now. Oof, 68 out of 70.
2: I should be pretty concerned right now.
3: Does she seem, like, lucid? Or she's like, completely out of it? Like- she seems
2: lucid but panicked.
3: Okay. Have you guys eaten anything all day? Maybe I should just run and get something real quick. Looks like she might need something.
4: I'll keep an eye on her. Okay. Mark will go with her. Okay. Hey, you mind if I tag along? Sure, yeah. I don't know, that... That place, I think that place is driving Cassandra a little bit a little bit loopy.
3: I don't think she'd be the first. I mean everything that we found it's like some kind of artist is connected to this, right there is uh Derabondi was an architect, yeah, this Dick Craig guy apparently created a bunch of artistic things while he was in prison, and then there' was that clockwork, that clockmaker, Gabriel Castain. And then Abigail with her weird hoarder art project in her apartment. I don't know. There's something about weird artists being connected to this thing. Like maybe there's something that's driving them insane or giving them their inspiration. I don't know. Am I crazy? Are you? Am I the only one seeing that connection? No, no.
4: I, I totally think that makes sense.
3: Do you think there's maybe more... I don't know. I almost hate to open this door, but should we be looking into other artistic types associated with murder, homicide, serial killing, mass graves, deaths, things like that? I mean, what if Darabondi, he's the first name on that list, but what if others followed suit and did other horrible things?
4: Well, I mean, I, I looked into the things that had happened at that building and, I mean, you know, there were a few few strange ones I told you about. Yeah. Then again, the Lundines didn't seem to be artistic, really.
0: You do remember that name, Gary Topchick, who was a director and had drowned. Mm-hmm. Was accused of drowning three children.
4: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Drowning. Okay. Something about drowning kids, then, seems to be an unfortunate recurring theme. Mm-hmm. Do we need to start looking into all the kids who have drowned in New York City? I and mean, that seems like a rabbit hole. But I feel like there's something insidious going on here and it hasn't stopped. With Abigail's disappearance, it makes me think that it's still ongoing. We just haven't seen it yet.
4: So at this point, we uh, if we pass by a payphone, phone, uh, Mark is going to... Hold on just a second, Jenny. I want to check on something. And I am going to call information and try and get the number for Hotel Brattle Bend in the New York City.
0: There is no such hotel in New York City.
4: Did the journal say that he he was in New York City, right? They did. All right. Well, that's one thing. Seems like that's gone. We should look that up, though.
3: Yeah. Maybe it's been renamed or torn down, turned into something else.
2: Yeah.
0: Let's go back to Cassie and Ira. Cassie, what are you up to?
2: Uh, Yeah, so she was bolting straight... Not bolting, but she was uh, walking back up to the roof to see if it was still a roof. It is indeed still a roof. So she steps out, biting her bottom lip, and she's going to go to the edge of the roof itself, and she's just going to stick her foot out as if to continue walking. And she just wants to see if it's air. Uh,
0: there is nothing but open air beneath beneath you.
1: All right. You good? He's still kind of in the doorway. He hasn't gone onto the roof.
2: I'm, I guess I'm just hungry. And she'll start to walk back towards the door and head downstairs with him. And I think we'll call it a session there.
0: Thank you for listening to Delta Green, Impossible Landscapes, part of the Black Project Gaming podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to visit blackprojectgaming.com for previous Delta Green episodes. You can also listen to our ongoing Waterdeep Dragon Heist and Barovia, California campaigns. If you'd like updates on all future releases, please follow us on Twitter or Facebook. Until next time, I'm Vince, your host and handler, with Brett as FBI hostage rescue team operator Ira Brewer, also known as Agent Morgan. Cammie, as Dr. Jenny Archer, anthropologist and Delta Green friendly. Doug, as FBI Special Agent Mark Hansom, also known as Agent Meshach. And Jack, as FBI Special Agent Cassandra Reese, also known as Agent Madison. Thank you again, and remember, we'll be seeing you.